Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hi, everybody. It's August the 6th. 2015, and it's time for my private audio call tonight. Our special guest speaker is Sam Iverson. I'm sorry, Rich Iverson. I was just talking about Sam Davis. <laughs> I was reading an email his wife had sent us. Sorry about that, Rich. Uh, Rich Iverson's with us tonight. Uh, you know what? I just looked on our old on our podcast uh, archives, and it noticed that you haven't been here since August of 2013. Really. Wow. Yeah, isn't that amazing that it's August, though? It's been a couple of years, so I'm glad you made it. And uh, you can probably update us on a lot of what's going on. There are people in the chat. Are you on the chat, uh, Rich? Uh, no, I'm actually uh, using my phone. Um, so, But if you have your computer, you can go to the chat. Oh, oh, oh okay. Uh, okay, very good. Yeah, I, 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 have, so many, uh, <laughs> I have so many things open. I have documents open, I have PDFs open, I have web pages open, so... Well, it's better if you don't, then, because it gets so distracting. But everyone here is so glad to hear you. Well, thank you. Yeah, and and thank you so much for inviting me back. It's uh, it's really great. I appreciate it. I enjoyed enjoyed it the first time around. Good, very good. We enjoyed having you, and I'm sorry it took us so long to have you back. Well, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in the last two years. Good. You can update uh, us then. I'll let you have the floor, and uh, thank you for coming on. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, Yeah, for those of you folks who may not be aware of me, my name is Rich Iverson. uh, I'm a California guy. I was born and raised here in California, and I've been studying law for about the last 25, 30 years. Um, I was living in Southern California, and uh, one, and actually, I was living in Marina del Rey. I, I was I did yacht service, and uh, one day I heard about a documentary being screened over at the Santa Monica Library about the Internal Revenue Service, and uh, so I invited the buddy, uh, a guy I worked with, and we went over to take a look at it, and it was actually pretty rough, uh, but. You got to give the guys credit. They they put it together. It was just a, a real rough presentation. But uh, during the question and answer period, um, someone stood up and said that they uh, were riding around in their car with no plates. And my ears perked up because for about four years, I was wondering why do I keep have to register re- register my van? I, I'm Volkswagen guy and had Volkswagen vans and I'm a van. I had a van at the time, so I kept asking myself, why do I keep registering my 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 cars, my van? Why do I do? I can't stand the DMV. I can't stand the vibe there. I don't like the people there. Why do I keep doing this? And so, like four years later, 
this guy stood up and said that he didn't have plates on his car, and there's this guy over in Chatsworth who teaches people about it. And uh, he, he mentioned who the guy was, and two days later, my buddy and I were sitting over in uh, Richard McDonald's living room. Uh, actually, I uh, call, it, call, call it the treehouse. He has a he lives in a very interesting place. Had an oak tree growing up through the middle of his living room, and uh, on all the walls, it, 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 the place is a virtual law library. The place is just filled with with law books and stuff. So it was a Sunday afternoon. He 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 was giving uh, his uh, traditional Sunday afternoon law seminar. And uh, through, went there three hours later. I left with a bunch of court cases and stuff, and that's pretty much how I began my journey. And uh, so I, I've been stu- I've been studying with Richard McDonald. Now, 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 Richard's a really, really great guy, and he's a very interesting man as well. Uh, he, he's he's a uh, proponent of uh, state citizenship. A, a lot of people may be unaware that there's two classes of citizen in our country. There's state and federal citizen, and there's a big difference between the two classes or status. So this is who I've been studying with primarily all these years, him and uh, a buddy of his named Steve Jones, and these are the two people I've worked with exclusively all this time, and without their assistance, I I wouldn't be here now, and hopefully what I'll I'll have to share with uh, the listeners, uh, you'll be able to use in in the defense of your rights that's what this is all about is knowing what your rights are and how to properly and effectively defend and protect them. Because if you're going to rely on your municipal servants to do so, uh, I got a bridge to sell you out there in uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, Anyway, uh, I studied uh, with Richard uh, for all this time, basically. And um, I learned why I had to register my van. And once I learned how, I learned why I had to register my van, I took steps to uh, not register it anymore. And so after about uh, four years of study, I felt comfortable enough to move forward and commence a divorce proceeding between myself and the Department of Motor Vehicles. So what I did was I pulled the plates off my van Packed, all, packed up the plates, driver's license, anything I had that they issued, and I sent them back to the director. And the director at the time was a lady by the name of Sally Reed. Now, this was in 1998, 97, 98, in that neighborhood. And I notified her that I had discovered an element of fraud in our contract. Now, a lot of people are unaware that when they go to the DMV and they're asking for the privilege. What they're in fact doing is contracting with the state for a, a privilege, a tax and revocable privilege. That's what the application is. The application is uh, is a an adhesion contract. You fill out a form, you give it to them. If you qualify, you get what you want. And then after you pay, of course. And so what was never disclosed to me when I went to the DMV to ask for this privilege was what the privilege was I was asking for. Now, like everybody else, uh, I was taught that you have to have a license to drive. And, of course, I believe my family and 
you know, my, my mom and dad, and, you know, they, they didn't want me to get in trouble when I went anywhere. So you get over to the DMV, you get your, get your well, first things first, you get your learner's permit. I mean, how many kids, when they turn 15, they're, they start drooling about becoming 16 and then heading over to the DMV to get their, their permit, their learner's permit, so they can figure out how to use a car so that when they become 18, they can use their car without mom and dad to go to the movies and the mall, et cetera. Uh, well, what I've learned uh, is that my mom and dad were misled. Everybody I know, uh, their, their mom and dad was misled. Their parents were misled because nobody ever told anybody what driving actually was. And that's what I discovered. And for me, the, the, the thing that, that um, I guess kind of cleared the water was understanding what the license was. And once I, I, I put, put the pieces together, it was just a matter of figuring out how to extricate myself from this contract with the DMV. So I sent, the, I sent all this stuff back to the DMV, and I used uh, contract rescission procedures, and I predicated it on fraud. Again, I had informed uh, the director that I discovered an element of fraud in our, our agreement. Here's all your stuff back. And I'm withdrawing, I'm, I'm recovering or, with, or withdrawing my uh, power of attorney inadvertently granted. So uh, you had 30 days to get back to me. Well, 30 days came and went. I uh, got no response from the DMV. And I sent a notice of default. And I notified Sally Reed that, uh, hey, Sally, uh, I sent you the the attached 30 days ago, I haven't heard from you. You got another 30 days to get back to me with any objection or whatever, or otherwise uh, we're gonna part company. So 30 days comes and goes, and I sat on my hands for about another 15 days, and then I sent the default. Essentially, hey, nice doing business with you, have a nice career, I'll see y'all later. And that's what I did. Um, subsequent to doing that, uh, I continued my studies of, of, of law, and uh, this is what I've been doing for all this time. So I have convinced myself, I've, I've accumulated a, a massive quantity of, of data about the, what the DMV regulates, what the license is for, what, what driving and passenger and motor vehicle, what, the, what, those, words are, what those words mean. And for those of you folks who are interested in traveling non-commercially uh, so that the vehicle code does not apply to you, it's imperative that you understand the definitions of the words that are being used. Otherwise, you're going to have serious problems because in the field of law, it's all semantics. And not only is it semantics in the courtroom, but it's semantics everywhere. It's just What's the definition of the words that are being used? Well, there are colloquial or conventional definitions, you know, street terms, I suppose you could say, no pun intended, and technical or legal definitions of words. Well, when it comes to law, the, the courts are informed that we're going to, you know, under normal circumstances, we're going to use the general or colloquial terms, you know, the terms everybody's familiar with. But there's a condition. 
unless there's a technical or legal definition. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there happens to be technical and legal definitions to the words used in the vehicle code. And if you hope to have a snowball's chance in hell in traffic court, it's in your best interest to know what these legal or technical definitions are because they might be used in a uh, here's an example i like i like to use this um you folks may recall that one of the presidents was uh, subjected to uh, impeachment proceedings uh that was mr clinton for his dalliances in the white house and during one of his depositions um a question was asked and he responded well it depends on what the definition is is now, I would guess that 99.9% .9 of all the non-attorneys in the country who watched that probably snorted, you know, yeah, oh, yeah, right, all those things, guy, what an idiot, you know, rightly so. However, I'm confident there was a lot of four and five hundred dollar an hour attorneys who sat there and went, that's one smart attorney, because it does boil down to the definitions that are being used, and if you agree to the use of a definition and and you haven't qualified the definition or asked the user of that definition what definition they're using, uh, chances are really good. You're going to have to take some money out of your wallet. You might not had to under other circumstances. So um, it's really important to understand what the word, the definitions of the words are in their legal or technical sense. Now, everybody who uses a car is confronted with the term driver, driving, motor vehicle, passenger, transportation, license, etc. Those are all your, your standard terms. Well, they work, the, the context within which those words are used is commerce. And that's what driving is. Now, all you folks who uh, enjoy comedy, you know that the punchline comes last. Well, I'm gonna tell you what the punchline to this whole thing is first, and then I'll back engineer it for you. Driving is a profession. Driver is a job description, it's a job title. A driver is someone who works in the transportation business. Cab driver tow truck driver, UPS driver, FedEx driver, pizza delivery driver, etc. cattle driver, stagecoach driver. All the people who do that stuff have the same thing in common. They all get paid. Now, when you all get in your car and you go to the store to get some groceries or some shoes or you head to your place of worship, or you go to the movies, none of you are getting paid to do that. And I'll bet you if anybody is sitting next to you in the front seat, they're not paying you to take, take them there. So if there's no element of compensation, money, then that somebody sitting next to you is not a passenger because a passenger is someone who pays to be transported from point A to point B. And the somebody behind the wheel would be the driver who transports the passenger. 
So in a commercial context, yes, it's a passenger seat. However, that seat changes its identity depending upon who's sitting in it or how it's used. So if someone is sitting next to you on the seat and they're giving you money to take them somewhere, then I suppose you could call it a passenger seat or the passenger side of the car. But if there's no, no, no monetary element, then that's just your property. It's a seat. It's, it's outside the commercial context. So there's a commercial context and a non-commercial context. And what the driver's license is all about is commerce. It permits the holder to charge a fee. And that fee is for the purpose of transportation or transporting a passenger, someone who pays, or hauling stuff from point A to point B. Now, the vast majority of you folks uh, can um, pull, pull out your wallet and take a look at your, your driver's license. In the majority of states, the driver's license that's issued to someone, everybody, 99.9% of everybody is a Class C license. In some states, it's a little bit different, but it's a Class C. In California, for example, it's a Class C license. Everybody who's riding around in a car has one of those, with the exception of me. Um, and what's interesting is what I, what I would encourage everybody to do to test this is next time you see a cab driver, just walk up to them and ask them what class license they have. Now, in California, if you walk up to a cab driver and you ask them, hey, what, what, what class license do you need to have to uh, drive a cab? It's going to go class C. That's a tip-off right there. And then on the car you'll more than likely see driver carries only $10 and change. You'll see the word driver on a cab. The driver has the same class license you do. You're in the same class, the same category as someone who's being paid to do a job. And the difference between the majority of everybody on this call and a cab driver is they're not getting paid. You're not getting paid to take your kids to school. You're not getting paid to take your kids to the doctor or the dentist or to go to your place of worship or the store to get food or go to the movies or on holiday. You're not getting paid for any of that, and they're not pay nobody in your car is paying you to take them there. You're just doing it. So the question is, what are you doing in the same category as someone whose job it is to drive. Why do, you, why do you have a permission slip to engage in a business you're not engaged in? So to be perfectly cynical about it, uh, all you folks who have a Class C license, um, why don't you go out and get a building contractor's license and a license to practice law? and a license for optometry or, or any other thing you need a license for. Go just, just be consistent. So this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a situation here 
where we've been misled. This is, this is the result of my research over the past 25, 30 years. So a, a question, another question I would have uh, is, how many people listening deliver pizzas? How many people listening deliver flowers? How many people work for a cab company? Well, if you don't do any of that, go ahead. I was going to ask you, so yeah. if so, do you drive around with some kind of signage on your car saying not commercial or not for hire? I mean, how do you keep the cops away from you if you don't have a license plate on your vehicle? You're a smart lady, aren't you? <laughs> you want to open up a major can of worms here. Well, that's that's a really interesting point, and I was actually going to get to that, and uh, so I'll do it now. Um, when I tell people that I've done what I've done, one of the first things I hear is, what happens if you get pulled over by a cop? And I think that's kind of interesting for the following reason. They're not asking me what, anything about the driving of the license or anything like that. They're concerned about getting a spanking, you know, the spanking part, because that's what being pulled over represents is getting a spanking. So, um, this is where things get a little bit debatable about how people want to um, deal with this issue. Now, I'm I'm pretty hardcore, and uh, my thinking is if I don't got to do it, I'm not going to do it. So, in point of fact, um, I now have a, 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 my property has license plates on it. And prior to this thing that I, I currently have, the, the machine I had before didn't have plates on it. As a matter of fact, you can, uh, folks can go to my YouTube channel and take a look at, at some videos. They'll, they'll see the stuff that I had. I had a Isuzu Rodeo and a, a Volvo station wagon. And I did not have plates on them. And that's how I rode around. Um, however, about three and a half, four years ago, uh, the shit hit the fan in my, in my world. And, um, actually I'm, I've been homeless for that amount of time because of betrayal issues. But in, in any event, um, and, and, and as a result, because I'm, I'm homeless, I'm kind of sort of on the street. Uh, I had to take precautions that I wouldn't have taken under other circumstances. So what I did was. I got I got a I got a, a truck that actually was registered and had plates, and so that was a, a smokescreen. So having said that, full disclosure, um, the, the as a matter of fact, the registration has expired, but I'm never going to register it. So um, whether one wants to have a now, I know that there are people who um, assist people getting plates from other states. Uh, the, the regulations are a little bit more agreeable, and uh, so they cover their six. Because when a, if a cop sees no plate on your car, that's going to be the entree for them to light you up and pull you over. Well, what's interesting, at least from my my perspective, what I what I what I determined is that there is indicia, there's evidence of commerce. Those license plates are evidence of commercial activity. So 
if there's no license plate on the car, I'm in fact, uh, I've, I've got a defensive posture that's actually better in, in court than having something on there. Now, if a cop, for example, sees a, a plate like a non-commercial travel or this or that, that's unusual. If they see no plate, well, that's kind of unusual too. But from a legal standpoint, I can make a, a, a much stronger argument by having no plate than something that looks peculiar or it's out of the ordinary. So there, there's some folks who are promoting what I would call workarounds and whatever blows your hair back. You know, if, if that's something you want to do, terrific. But again, I'm hardcore. My thinking is, hey, I put whatever brand I want on my horse. I'm not going to go register it in Montana or Oregon or any place else. I'm not even going to register it in California. I don't want their stinking property. I'm not going to stick the brand on my horse. So what I'm willing to do is um, I, when, I, when I get into a, a, a different position, um, I'm not going to have any plates on my car. Why? Because I know, I know that the Department of Motor Vehicles regulates commercial behavior. And those people who are issued a license and a license plate, that's evidence of commercial behavior, that that, that that party to whom those items were issued are within the regulated class. So it's really up to the whomever uh, to determine w- w- what they what they want to do and w- what they uh, what they feel confident or comfortable discussing. So for me, I'm I'm comfortable and confident discussing the distinction between commercial and non-commercial behavior. So let's say I'm going down the street and I have no plates on my car, and John Law decides to pull me over. I know what he's going to what he's going to do. I know what section of the vehicle code he's going to going to cite on the notice to appear. It's going to be 5200. California Vehicle Code 5200. Now, for all you folks who are outside of California, you have access to the codes of California. I'll make reference to various code sections, and then I would encourage you to uh, head over and take a look at the code sections for yourself. Don't believe me. Look, check it out for yourself. Uh, look at the actual words as written. Uh, and they're available 24-7. And then what I would do, I, I would suggest that you take a look at your own codes for for the similar things. So when you, when you look at 5200 of the California Vehicle Code, it says nothing about you having to have plates on your car. It starts off with when, to, when plates are issued or when two plates are issued. It starts off with the word when. And then as you continue to read, what you'll see is that that section has to do with securely fastening the plates within specified location. That's what it has to do with. So let's say John Law issues me a notice to appear for 5200, and uh, I want my day in court. I'm going to have an opportunity to ask the officer some questions when, when it's my turn to put on my case. So he's going to... He's going to talk about, well, there's no plates on the car, motor vehicle, whatever, and blah, 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 blah. And then I'm going to get to put on my case. Now, 
for those of you folks who've, who've been in court before, traffic court, uh, it, it typically goes like this. The cop tells a story, and then the defendant tells a story. Well, I don't tell a story. What I do is I qualify the party who accused me. I ask them questions. So what I, one of the questions I could ask the officer is, officer, uh, is it a fact that uh, I, you, you cited vehicle code section 5200 on the notice to appear? Yes, sir, I did. Okay, great. Thank you. Now, uh, do you have personal knowledge of 5200? Oh, yes, sir. Okay, very good. So according to the vehicle code, section 5200, it says when two plates are issued, blah, 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 it should be securely fastened. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Great. When were the two plates issued? What's that, sir? When were the two plates issued? What, what do you mean, sir? You didn't have plates on your car. Well, that may be, sir, but when were they issued? Well, I don't know. Well, sir, uh, officer, um, is, uh, maybe you maybe you could explain how someone could attach something they haven't received. What's that? How can you attach something to your car securely within the space designated at that section unless the DMV sends you the plates plates first? Well, sir, you're supposed to have plates on your car. <laughs> okay, fine. How can I put something on my car that hasn't been sent to me? Hasn't been issued. You see, they have a problem. It's a sticky wicket. The cop, the cop has to do some due diligence. If they don't do due, due diligence, they're going to look like a fool. At least I'm going to do my best to make them look like a fool. Why would I not take advantage of this opportunity? I know how it works. You can't attach something that hasn't been sent to you. How can you possibly violate that section? Well, it's your responsibility to get the plates. Okay, fine. What do you want me to do? Go up to the DMV with a handgun, stand at the counter, and demand plates? Is that your recommendation? I filled out the application. They haven't sent them to me. Well, well what? See, they're the ones with the problem. And all I'm doing is shifting the burden back to them. They want me to explain. I don't have to explain anything. I'm innocent until they prove I'm not. That's, how, that's one of the foundational, fundamental aspects of the justice system in our country. I know it doesn't often work that way, but unless we all get together and make it work, it ain't going to work. And a lot of people are getting um, pickpocketed and extorted you know, every, every single day during traffic court. It's just nothing but extortion and pickpocketing. It's a massive scam, and, and crime does pay. So my position is, at least for me, based on my understanding, I'm in a better place not having plates on my property because the cop will never be able to prove I was doing what the DMV regulates and what the license permits. And this brings us to... Um, the issue of who's, who's required to do what. Now, they're going to claim that you've got to have a license. Sure, no problem. I agree. You've got to have a license if you're going to drive a motor vehicle. No argument from me. That's the way it is. Do it. However, if, you're, if you don't do what the DMV regulates and what the license permits, you don't need to have any of that stuff. And if a cop accuses you of violating 5200, 
then somebody's got to prove that you were engaged in the activity the license permits. They never do. And this actually takes us to um, the types of, of actions. There's only two, civil and criminal. There's only two types of court cases, a civil case and a criminal case. Well, what kind of, what kind of a case is, is uh, getting a ticket? for 5,200 or have an expired tab, burned out taillight, no, no seatbelt, uh, talking on a cell phone, five miles over the speed limit, that kind of thing, California stop. What kind, what kind of a trial is it going to be if you want your day in court? Well, it's going to be criminal. How do we know? Because in a criminal trial, there's this thing called arraignment. That's the first stop on the, on the journey. We go over to arraignment, and, and your name is called, and then the party wearing the black robe is going to tell you what the charge or charges is, and then they're going to ask you how you want to plea. Well, you, you, that doesn't happen in civil action, so it's not a civil matter. It's not a civil action. It's criminal. And a job that's imposed on the accuser is proving every element of the crime. One of the elements of the quote-unquote crime is the nature of the activity, and they never prove you were doing what they accused you of not doing or doing. So let's, let's take a driving on a suspended license or driving without a license. Okay. As a matter of fact, um, here's, a, here, here's a, a story. I helped a guy uh, a few years ago. He, he was stopped for um, speeding and driving on a suspended license. The cop followed him for about a mile, and uh, they pulled into a – the cop lit him up, and they pulled into a, a mall parking lot, and he was cited for speeding and uh, – driving on a suspended. Now, he was only going like about seven miles over the limit, something like that. So, in fact, uh, he, uh, he utilized a series of questions that I had spent about seven years developing. And uh, he, the, the cop couldn't have been more cooperative. It was absolutely great. The, 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 the judge commended the guy. This guy was a stone rookie commended the guy, suggested he go to law school, all this other kind of stuff, and then found the guy guilty. <laughs> However, the judge admitted, number one, speeding is not a crime. He also admitted that infractions are not crimes. And, and at the same, now this is really important to, to, to be aware of. Police officers have the authority to uh, arrest for criminal behavior. That th their, their power, what they can legitimately do, is limited to crime. So if an officer is involved, a, a police officer, a sheriff deputy, or highway patrol officer, if they're involved, they pull you over, then, it, then they must have observed behavior that constitutes or has risen to the level of crime. Otherwise, they got a big problem. And that big problem is they committed a crime. They, they can't arrest somebody for non-criminal behavior. Not in our country. They're doing it every day, though. That's part of the scam. This is, what, this is what a lot of people are unaware of. The majority of people are unaware that 
the so-called traffic stop is, in fact, an arrest. Again, don't believe me. It's in the California Vehicle Code. Talk about convenience. For all you folks uh, who, who may be unaware of this, uh, take a look at 40300 of the California Vehicle Code. It's the procedures on arrests. It's not procedures on traffic stops. It's not procedures on detentions. In fact, there are no procedures on detentions, investigatory or otherwise. They're procedures on arrests. I didn't, I didn't use that word. The legislature did. I didn't write the vehicle code. The legislature did. They're supposed to know what they're talking about. They call that contact what you and I, colloquially, colloquial, easy for me to say, conventionally speaking, call a traffic stop is an arrest. It gets even better. Take a look at 40504. 40504. Not only are we arrested, but we're in custody until that officer issues the notice to appear and lets us go. Again, don't believe me. This is what the legislature wrote. So what police are doing is making warrantless arrests. And when it comes to infractions, Again, talking on a cell phone, overly tinted windows, burned out taillight, expired tab, no plate. Uh, the officer is making a warrantless arrest for non-criminal behavior. Now, the question arises, has a legislature permitted or authorized a police officer to arrest people for non-criminal behavior? No. No. So getting back to the, the question about do I want to have something on my, my car that says like non-commercial travel or nothing, I prefer nothing because I know what my adversary has to do. I know the rules that apply to my accuser. And by the way, the police officer is not my accuser. Even though the police officer arrested me and issued the notice to appear and then released me from custody, the officer is nothing more than the state's witness. He's not my accuser. Who's my accuser? Well, that would be the people of the state of California. Why? Because it's a crime. And when it comes to criminal behavior, the DA represents the people. I mean... 30, 40 million people are not going to show up in traffic court tomorrow. <laughs> uh, that, that's not practical. So the DA is supposed to be doing that. But guess what? They don't show up for infractions. Who does? Well, any of you folks who've been to traffic court on an infraction, you know who shows up or not, and that's going to be the officer. Houston, we've got a problem. How can that be, Rich? Well, where is everybody? We, uh, it, it, how many people would, would, would go to New York to see a play, like Cats, for example, and uh, you want to go see the play Cats, and the cats don't show up? This is what's happening in traffic court in infraction cases. We don't have all the actors. As a matter of fact, you don't have the principal actors. You don't have the people. They never show up. The only, the, the, the only actors who show up is the state's witness, the trier of fact, or judicial officer, and the defendant. 
Anybody want to explain to me how this is legal? You got a state witness standing there blathering on about something. It's not even their case. But they're permitted to stand there and um, say say all kinds of stuff. Oh, I observed him doing this. I observed the driver in the motor vehicle, and they were doing this. Okay, now, uh, make them pay, Your Honor. What? How's this? What? The only person, the only actor showing up uh, on on the people's behalf is the witness, and then there's you, the defendant. How are they getting away with this? It's called quorum non judis. We don't have everybody. Quorum non judis. We don't have everybody. Not everybody's here. What's going on? It cannot be a criminal trial because the the the, the plaintiff, the people. And their attorney, the DA, don't show up. How are you getting convicted under those circumstances? This is going on every day all across the country. The municipalities are making money hand over fist because we don't know what's going on. We don't know how they're getting away with this stuff. Most people are are basically what I've determined is most people are are scared. And um, they just don't want to pay. Well, I don't want to pay either. But the difference between me and a lot of people is I actually read the rules because there's rules. And what a traffic stop is, is someone alleging I broke a rule. Okay, maybe I did. But the question I have is, did my accuser break any rules in the process of pulling me over to accuse me of breaking a rule? So let's say there's no plates on my car. John Law's going to pull me over, then we'll allege there's no plates on my car. Fine. Is it, now, who's the plaintiff? Well, given it's a criminal action, the people. Well, who's their attorney? Because 40 million people are not going to show up. So who represents the people in your county? Well, it's going to be the DA. What if they don't show up? Well, guess what? They, the, the plaintiff has abandoned their case. How can you lose? You don't have an adversary. The cop's not your adversary. They're, they're just a witness. And as a matter of fact, it doesn't take a whole lot of yes or no questions to establish that cop is incompetent. They don't know what they're doing. And it's really not that difficult to get them to admit that they followed a rule that doesn't exist. Because there is no authority. There's no legislative authority. There's no rule that they can point to that says they have to pull you over for no plates. Doesn't exist. Why? Because no plates, 5200, is an infraction. An infraction is not a crime. Now, is there any authority to that effect? Do we have, is there any evidence? This raises a, a, a question for you all. What do you rely on for truth? What sources do you guys rely on for truth? What's true and what, what's BS? Now, I agree with Richard McDonald. I read court cases. I read statutes. I read the codes. That's what I read. That's what I rely on. And I know what the courts have held. I've, got, I've probably read over 10,000 court cases in the last 25 years. My law folder consists of about 265 gigs of law information. I'm never going to read it all. I'm never going to watch it all. I'm never going to listen to it all, but I got it. 
and it's on an array of topics. But I have all everything I need to deal with traffic issues. And another thing that, that uh, Richard has advocated is that if, if people can handle a traffic case, if they understand the workings and the elements of a traffic case, they can handle about 98% of anything that comes their way. And the reason for that is because the legal principles are all the same. You have a witness, you have evidence, you have sufficiency of evidence, you have uh, burdens imposed on the defendant, you have burdens imposed on the process. There's rules that apply to everybody. So if you understand what the rules are that apply to police officers, if you have a, an awareness of the rules that apply to police officers, if you have an awareness that applies to the district attorney, if you have an awareness of the rules that apply to the person wearing the black robe, if you have awareness of the rules that apply to witnesses and the defendant, you're going you're gonna to do pretty good. And I read court cases. That's what I, that's points and authorities. That's a, a term used in law. I'm sure a lot of folks on the call are aware of that. Points and authorities are uh, sources in support of an assertion. So, for example, infractions are not crimes. Now, is, is, is there, a, um, is there a, a, a source for that? Well, as a matter of fact, there is. As a matter of fact, there is only one court case in California history, one, that, that contains these four words. Infractions are not crimes. So we know what they're not. The court went on to ice that cake, and they went on to tell us what the legislative intent was. And this is what the court held. Uh, infractions are not crimes. Upon the rationale, the legislature did not intend to classify infractions as crimes. Now, why is the legislative intent important? Because when you understand some of the rules that apply to a judge and a court, well, in fact, technically, it's the judge. It's not the court. The court's a building, but the judge. One of the duties, the prime, one of the prime directives imposed on a judge is to determine legislative intent. What did the legislature intend when they wrote this? And that's what the uh, court's supposed to do. So having said that, I want to read a court citation, a point in authority, if you will. We thus require citizens to apprise themselves not only of statutory language, but also of legislative history, subsequent judicial construction, and underlying legislative purpose. Walker versus Superior Court, 47, Cal 3rd, 112. That's a 1988 California Supreme Court holding. We thus require citizens to apprise themselves not only of statutory language, but also of legislative history, subsequent judicial construction, and underlying legislative purposes. 
Now, where do we find subsequent judicial construction and underlying legislative purposes? Court cases, court of appeal decisions, Supreme Court decisions, because the courts sit there and determine what, what the rule means, what's the purpose of the rule, what did the legislature intend, to whom does it apply? So w what are your sources for the truth? My sources for law truth are found in Supreme and appellate level and other court decisions, both state and federal, statutes and codes. That's what I rely on. See, I like to take the target off me. Don't shoot me, Your Honor. I'm only the messenger. Uh, the legislature wrote this, not me. <laughs> so if you're going to give someone a spanking, spank them. I, I just found this stuff. I, di I didn't write it. I'm a finder, not a writer. So that's what I like to do. Can you repeat that case again? That was Walker versus what? Superior Court. Walker versus Superior Court. And it's 47. Cal 3rd, 112. Thank you. Okay. Now, uh, the, 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 court, the court case that you'll find infractions are not crimes in, again, there's only one court case in California history, and California's been around since 1850, um, is People versus Sava, S-A-V as in Victor A. Anybody on this call who knows me knows that I hammer that nail all the time. You work with me on a traffic case, you're going you're gonna to move that case into the record. You're going to talk about that case. Your case is basically going to be founded on that. Because what cops are doing, again, is making a warrantless arrest for non-criminal behavior because infractions are not crimes. How do we know? People versus Sava. 190, Cal App 3rd. 935. I'll repeat that. 190, Cal App 3rd, 935. Cal App is California Court of Appeals or California Appellate Reporter. That's, that's its nick, nickname. 190, Cal App 3rd, 935. That's a 1987 court case. And it's never been overturned. Now, what the hell's going on in traffic court? I'm supposed to know this stuff. I do know this stuff. Why are judges and commissioners acting contrary to what the Court of Appeals held? Let's say you go to a ring and you want your day in court. Uh, Mr. Iverson, you've been accused of, uh, you've been charged with, I'll be charged with, uh, vehicle code section 5200, 4000A, and uh, no driver's license. Uh, how do you want to plead today, sir? Uh, Your Honor, uh, I have a couple questions uh, prior to entry of a plea. Yeah, what would those be, sir? Well, Your Honor, is uh, Vehicle Code Section uh, 5200, uh, is that a crime? What's that, sir? Is 5200 of the Vehicle Code a crime? Oh, sir, it's an infraction. Yeah, I understand that, Your Honor, but is it a crime? Well, sir, it's a violation of the Vehicle Code. Well, it may be a violation, Your Honor, but is it a crime? Well, sir, it's an offense. Sir, d d look, if, if you need to talk to an attorney, I'll go ahead and grant any continuance. You can get over and see about hiring an attorney. No, sir, I, I just like you to answer the question. Is, it, is 5200 a crime? Well, sir, it's an offense of the vehicle code. Well, Your Honor, <laughs> that's a little, uh, a, little, uh, a little early to make that determination. I mean, that's the whole purpose of trial, right? You say it's an offense. Uh, uh, I think that's a premature judgment. 
Uh, but having said it's an offense, is it a crime? Now, I don't care what the robe says. I got, I, I got my question out and on the record. That's the, that's the point. If they don't tell me the truth, there's only one correct answer, and I know what it is. And I ask a yes or no question. If I hear anything other than yes or no, I know I got gamer, a gamer wearing a black robe. They're trying to play cat and mouse with me. Well, that's not going to go very well. I ask a yes or no question for a reason. It limits the response. If I hear anything other than yes or no, I either got someone incompetent sitting across from me or they're a criminal. There's no middle ground, ladies and gentlemen. They either know what they're doing, they know what I know, or they don't. If they don't, they're incompetent. If they do and they say that kind of BS, they're a criminal because they're trying to trick me, and that's fraud. Not only are they trying to perpetrate a fraud on me, but they're also trying to perpetrate a fraud on their own court. That, I, don't, I, I don't like that kind. And they expect a paycheck at the end of the week. <laughs> I'm not going to make their life easy. So if, if, if he goes, well, sir, it's an infraction. I understand, Your Honor, but it's a crime. Well, it's, it's an infraction, sir. There, again, ladies and gentlemen, how do you get out of this? If they say it's a crime, then you, go, then you, then you can pull out People versus Saba. Well, Your Honor, uh, according to the Court of Appeals in People versus Saba, 1987 California Court of Appeals case, court held infractions are not crimes. What's going on? Well, sir, you know, they're going to BS you. And then if you really want to piss them off, ask them who, who preferred the charges. Excuse me, Your Honor, uh, and I use the word charges. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, sir. What's going on? Well, who preferred them? What? Uh, who wrote what you just read, Your Honor? Sir, uh, if you don't understand, you're right, I don't understand, and that's why I'm asking you the question. Who wrote what you just read? Did you write it? Did a court clerk write it? Because I have a piece of paper here with the officer's signature on it, and none of what you just said is on this piece of paper. Now, who wrote what you just said? If it wasn't the district attorney, ladies and gentlemen, we got a really big problem here because it's the district attorney who represents the plaintiff, and the plaintiff are we, the people. And if a DA did not prefer a charge, then who the hell did? So there's, there's a lot of uh, valuable information that a lot of people are unaware of. And this is really unfortunate because, um, again, we're being subjected to extortion, and uh, I don't think it's stretched to say terror. Because there's a lot of people who are terrorized by cops. Uh, this lady down in Texas, for example, Sandra Bland, the, the lady was found hanging in her cell a couple of days or a day, day after she was arrested for what? Not using her turn indicator. Ladies and gentlemen, the cop didn't observe a crime. He made a flawed evaluation. That op- Watch that video, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen it, at that stop. You'll, you'll see that cop commit three crimes. One, he made an arrest without a warrant. On its face, that's illegal. Two, false imprisonment. You didn't witness a crime. 
So he made a warrantless arrest for non-criminal behavior. Three, when he touched that woman's door, the door of her car, he committed battery. So actually there was, there was both sides of the coin. The assault, that, that is the ability to perform the battery. So he, he, had, he demonstrated assault. And then, he, and then he followed through with the battery when he touched the car. I, that may be difficult to appreciate or may seem far-fetched, but that's how it works. If, you, if you're walking your dog down the street and I come along and I pet your dog without your percent, uh, permission or consent, technically, under the law, it's battery, even though it, it's not you. But you're battered, and you, you, you can file a tort action against me for assault and battery. So when he touched that woman's car, he committed battery. When he opened the door and then touched her, he continued with it. So that cop committed three crimes, and she's dead. She's presumed innocent. What was her name? Uh, Sandra Bland. Uh, this, this, this took place in, in, in uh, Texas about three weeks ago. And, uh, and, and so he actually took her to jail. As it turns out, she's, uh, she's an advocate uh, regarding or was an advocate for, uh, you know, police brutality and stuff like or against police brutality and people being aware of the law and that sort of thing. That's right. She was found hung in her room, in her cell, mm-hmm. right? That, that's correct. But she should have never wound up in the cell to begin with because that cop screwed up just like so many are right now. There's thousands upon thousands of police officers who have made the same faulty evaluation of what they observed. Uh, here's something I would like, um, like the listeners to do. I'm, I'm a visual kind of guy. I like visuals. They help me understand things. So here, if you all have a pen and a piece of paper, uh, I'm going to have you do a little thing. And this has to do with jurisdiction. Now, you hear jurisdiction a lot, and jurisdiction, in addition to where you are, like on the ground, it also has to do with authorization to act. So if you have a, something to write with and something to write on, what I'd like you to do is draw a stick figure. Really simple. And then underneath the stick figure, write the word cop. And then under that, write the word employee. Then, what I'd like you to do is draw a circle around that. You know where I'm going with this, Angela? No, but I'm drawing, I drew my stick figure and I put okay. a cop and employee okay. and I put we, a circle around the whole thing. So Outstanding. You didn't have to do that because I sent you where I'm going with this. Okay. <laughs> I put... I put together a, a, little, a little thing. Anyway, I sent it over to you. Um, so under underneath, uh, actually, let me pull it up here to refresh my memory. Oh yeah, with the cop. Oh, you, the cop. Yeah, yeah, the cop. The cop. The, the cop in the circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. So um, so anyway, uh, right. Uh, and so underneath the circle. Um, put uh, Penal Code Section 836, okay? And, and this is California Penal Code 836, by the way. Um, and you'll find this, you'll find similar language in, you know, throughout, throughout the states. So 
you have underneath there, you have Penal Code Section 836, and then underneath that, right within the scope. Okay, so we have a little stick figure. We have the word cop and employee, and that and and the stick figures inside the circle. Okay, so with the stick figure being a cop inside the circle, they're within the scope of their constitutional duty. Now, as long as they stay within that circle, they have what's known as qualified or limited immunity, meaning they can actually screw up and, and damage you, but you can't sue them. They have immunity from being sued as long as what they did is within that circle. And what Penal Code Section 836 is all about is it limits the size of that circle. It actually imposes the circle around the cop because 836 of the California Penal Code refers to the arrest authority of that stick figure in the circle. So as long as they comply with what's written at 836, they're, they're good to go. Now, draw another stick figure and then underneath the other stick figure write the words without the scope without the scope and then next to that draw another circle and then in that circle write within the scope And then under both of those, write the word trespasser. And then draw a line, an arrow, from the word trespasser to without the scope. And then underneath the word trespasser, write forfeits their qualified immunity. So when they act beyond the scope of their constitutionally uh, imposed border limit jurisdiction, they are a trespasser. They're, they're acting under the color of authority, but they don't have actual authority because the legislature never permitted what they did. So here, here's an interesting um, thing from... Uh, American jurisprudence. American jurisprudence is an, is an encyclopedia of law, and it's a good source for truth, law, legal truth. So in volume 70 of American jurisprudence, second edition, section 50, Subsection 7, civil liability, this is what you're going to see. An officer may be held liable in damages to any person injured in consequence of a breach of any of the duties connected with his office. The liability for nonfeasance, misfeasance, and for malfeasance in office is in his individual, not his official capacity. 
In other words, that officer has exposed himself to a lawsuit for acting beyond the scope or acting outside that circle, limited by his arrest authority. Now, it's important to understand what the police contact is. When a cop walks up to you, it's, it's important to understand. Now, there's, there's, there's four terms for a police contact, but there's actually only two natures, but there's four terms. So one of the terms is detention. Another term is seizure. Another term is arrest. Now, I'm sure everybody would agree that those all have the same thing in common, and I like to, I like to call, the, call it a compulsory restraint. I'm, I'm being compelled to stay put. I'm being restrained in my freedom to come and go as I please. The other, the other type of contact is called an, a consensual encounter. So let's say I'm walking down the sidewalk and a, a sheriff deputy walks up to me and asks me what time it is. I don't have to talk to him and keep walking, and I don't have to fear retribution or retaliation because I'm under no obligation to do anything. It's a consensual encounter. You have the freedom to break off contact at will. However, those other three, you're going to have a problem if you attempt to do that because it's a compulsory restraint. The officer is demonstrating behavior or tone. If, if they say something to you that indicates to somebody, you better not leave. Because if you do, probably wouldn't be a good idea. So seizure, detention, arrest. They're all compulsory restraints. The other type of contact is a consensual encounter you can break it off at will traffic stops are compulsory restraints now a lot of, a lot of times uh you'll hear uh, this is something that i've heard over the last few years uh going to court uh, where i've helped people um as a matter of fact a few years ago i i helped a guy on a uh actually a speeding case as well oh actually let me okay and during um Prior to his case being called, uh, two officers were giving their narrative, and they used the term enforcement stop. And the first time I heard the first officer say that, I went, huh, enforcement stop, huh, okay, where are we going here? What, what's the, okay. And so sure enough, you know, the defendant lost. And then uh, there was another case, and it was another cop, and he used the term enforcement stop. And I went, what a, wait, now wait a second. There ain't no such thing. Now, I knew, and then, you know, I, I knew that these cops, they never read the vehicle code. They were taught that term by an attorney. Either that or they read court cases that I read, and I, and I, I know cops don't do that for the most part. You know, they just want to get out there and do cop stuff, demonstrate their testosterone and all that other kind of stuff. So, sure enough, when my guy's case comes up, cop uses enforcement stuff. I'm like, okay, great, what's going on here? All right, great. It's technically an arrest, but anyhow, uh, that's a term that's used, an enforcement stop. Okay, great. 
So that's what that's what cops are calling it. Now you can use that to your advantage if you know, if you know some of the stuff in in the vehicle code and you read some court cases about what's actually taking place. Now I kind of drifted away from uh, this case that I was talking about, where, where where this guy helped out with stop for speeding and driving on a suspended license. Um, he was found guilty on all counts notwithstanding the fact that the judge complimented him, praised him for his, what he did, his, 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 his presentation, his examination of the officer. It, it, the flattery was unbelievable. But he found him guilty anyway. So we, we, uh, we were going to do an appeal. In fact, I prepared an opening brief on appeal. And the, the, my argument in the opening brief on appeal, in, in relation to driving on a suspended license, amounted to, so what? Yes, the prosecution established that his license was suspended. They attempted to move his DMV record into the record. They were successful over my guy's strenuous objection. That DMV record establishes the contract you have with the, the DMV. And you want to do your best to keep the DMV record out of the record. Why? Because that's evidence that you have a contract, and that's what they're enforcing. Is it, it's what you're being accused of, technically, is breach of contract. You agreed not to talk on a cell phone. You agreed not to exceed the posted speed limit. You agreed to wear a seatbelt. You agreed to have all your lights work. You agreed to have your tab current. You agreed to all those conditions so you could get the privilege, terms and conditions. It's all contract-based allegations. But here's the thing. Cops are alleging people are breaching contracts. What they're, what they're doing is they're, they're commencing, so to speak, a, a, a breach contract. It's a, it's a tort claim. It's a tort case. It's, it's civil on behalf of a non-complaining party. The DMV doesn't know you breached your contract. Maybe they do. But why, but why aren't they contacting you if they know instead of a cop doing it? A cop's authority is limited to crime. Cop didn't witness crime. Okay, moving forward. So in, my, in the opening brief on appeal, what I, what I wrote in relation to the, the prosecution in, in uh, not doing in relation to him allegedly driving on a suspended license, yeah, they, they established it was suspended, but they never proved he was doing what the license permitted. They never proved an element of the alleged crime. They didn't do their job, and they were rewarded. This is happening every day across this country. It's a scandal. People are being raped. People are being extorted. People are being subjected to terror. Who doesn't get queasy getting pulled over? I know this stuff. And, I, man, I see a cop coming towards me. My mouth gets dry. I don't want anything to do with him. I use my mirrors as much as I look forward. I see a cop anywhere near me. I'm ready to, I'm ready to turn off somewhere. I don't want to be anywhere around a cop because they don't know what they're doing. 
They don't have a warrant. They're pulling people over for non-criminal behavior. This is a huge problem in this country, ladies and gentlemen. And a lot of people are making, uh, they're saying the right things. They're, they're moving the right evidence into the record. And, the, and, the, and it's being ignored by the, by the people who aren't supposed to ignore it. It's a scandal what's taking place in this country. The criminals are being rewarded. It's kind of like, uh, uh, and, and as far as I'm concerned, they're never going to stop as long as people don't push back. So what I urge people to consider if they do a, a, a traffic case, like for an infraction, um, I, I, I suggest everybody go to court and have their day in court. Well, typically what you're going to hear is, well, it's only $50 or $100. You know, I got to take time off work. And, you know, man, it's a big hassle is being inconvenient, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Hey, that may be. So let me ask you a question. How much is a constitutionally secured right worth? Because that's what's being affected in a, a quote-unquote traffic stop. If you folks don't know what, what rights are affected in a traffic stop, you've got, you got a big problem, and you're not going to push back. I'm a big fan of my right to privacy, and I have a reasonable expectation of privacy when I go buy a can of peaches. I also have the freedom to decide who I want to interact with. If a cop walks up to my window, and starts talking to me, he's denied my right to choose who I want to talk to. He's expecting me to talk to him. He's making me interact with him. I don't have to. He's violating that right. He's also interfering with my right to choose to come and go as I please. He's saying, you can't do that. You've got to stop. And if you don't, it's going to be even worse. I have a pretty good understanding of what my constitutionally secured rights are that are affected in a so-called traffic stop, which is technically an arrest. And if you all knew what I knew, you would be as pissed off as I am. You would be as animated as I am. Because these guys are getting paid for this stuff. So what I encourage people I, I work with to do is use the, the traffic trial to get the cop to answer some questions on the record. And then if I'm if or when I'm successful, I'm going to file a claim for damages for false imprisonment. And I'm going and and I have that transcript from that trial. I want to make sure I get a transcript from that trial. As a matter of fact, people I work with, they hear me use use this a lot. Get the transcript. Get the transcript. Don't say anything unless they're recording it. Don't say anything unless they're recording it. Make sure they're recording it. Make sure you're on the record. If there's no record, don't say anything. Get someone in there to record it. A certified shorthand reporter, an electronic recording device, just make sure there's a record and you get a copy of it. Why? Because when you people leave this phone call tonight, you're going to remember about two things I said. Now, imagine when you get into a courtroom in the heat of battle. You're not going to remember what you said. You're not going to remember what a judge said. You're not going to remember what a cop said. But if you have a record, that's something you can use in a claim for damages, in support of your claim for damages. Claim for damages for false imprisonment. 
In other words, go get some money from that cop who made you use your time thinking about something you don't want to think about, talking to people you don't want to talk to, using your fuel to go someplace you don't want to go. You didn't screw up. They screwed up. Maybe your tab was expired. Okay? Maybe it was. But if a cop actually committed a crime to accuse you of non-criminal behavior, shouldn't he pay you for that? You were damaged. He acted outside that circle. They're never going to stop unless you do to them what they do to you. And what they're doing to you is they're targeting your wallet. That's how they're getting you to adjust your behavior. They keep banging your wallet, banging your wallet, banging your wallet. Keep paying them. You're paying criminals. Let's say your your spouse uh, comes home from your next-door neighbor's house after they just do the horizontal bop. Um, and you, you hand them, you know, 500 bucks and then give them a big hug and a kiss on the cheek and, and say, keep up the good work, hon. That's not entirely an inducement to cease and desist. <laughs> uh, they're probably going to continue going next door. Wouldn't you? So why should cops stop doing what they're doing unless, unless uh, people start turning around going, excuse me, uh, uh, you know, city of uh, Newark or uh, Miami uh, or San Francisco, you owe me $10,000 for false imprisonment. Anybody interested in tax-free money? As a claim for damages, you get paid for a claim for damages, there's no tax on that. It's not income. It's restoration. I was subjected to false imprisonment once, and I filed a claim for damages for ten grand. I got it. I didn't have to go to court to get it. They settled out of court. The initial offer was for $3,000. I contacted the uh, municipality's insurance carrier, and I, I asked the lady, uh, ma'am, how, how did you arrive at this $3,000 figure? And she goes, oh, well, I thought it was reasonable. And I go, okay, based on what? Well, it just seemed fair. And I go, okay, based on what? Well, it just seemed like, and I go, ma'am, I'm using a federal benchmark. Now, how did you arrive at this three grand? Well, I thought, okay, thank you very much. I'm not interested. About three weeks later, I get a, another offer, this time 5000 so I did the same thing, picked up the phone. Hi, how you doing? Rich Iverson, I'm in receipt of your proposal, your offer of $5,000. How, how did you arrive at this $5,000 figure? Well, thought it was reasonable. I go, okay, uh, based on what? Well, it seemed fair. I go, ma'am, I'm using a federal benchmark here. Help me out. How did you arrive at this, this $5,000 figure? Well, sir, it just seemed like, no, thank you, ma'am. Have a nice day. About three weeks later, I get I get the uh, release for claimant uh, release of uh, I get the release from them. They're gonna they're willing to pay me the whole ten grand. So I picked up the phone. I called her up and I said, "Hi, Rich Iverson here. I'm in receipt of your your release. I was wondering if you're gonna be in your office tomorrow." Yeah, great. You all right to stop by? Yeah. What time would you like? You know, and we set a time. So uh, I went up to Oakland the following day. And I got a check for $10,000. So before I left, uh, I asked, where's your bank located? And she goes, uh, well, it's 
you know, a few blocks over. And I go, would you mind calling them and let them, letting them know I'm going to stop by? Okay. So about 10 minutes later, I walked out of the uh, insurance building. About 20 minutes later, I walked through the front door of the bank. I met the vice president who knew I was coming over. About 15 minutes later, I walked out of the bank with $10,000 cash money in my pocket. Got my van, went back to San Jose. I went to a bicycle store, and I bought a mountain bike, brand new, and I paid no sales tax. The following day, I went over to Office Depot, bought a brand new laptop computer, and I didn't pay any sales tax. Why? Because it's a really good idea to read the rules. And if you read the rule, or when you read the rules and you think about the rules a little bit, you can save yourself a lot of time. You can protect and defend yourself. And that's what this is boiling down to, is protecting and defending our secured rights and not doing stuff just because someone says we got to do it. Now, if someone tells me I got to do something, I'm going to sit there and go, is that so? Because I know that the accuser bears the burden of proof. As a matter of fact, my website, which unfortunately is not accessible thanks to someone who breached their contract with me, uh, I was hired to uh, help them with a couple of traffic cases, infractions, allegations, and uh, they stiffed me on payment. And as a result, I haven't had access to my website or my regular email service for the last month. and. Uh, it's been very annoying. But if it was up, which I anticipate it will be by this weekend, maybe early next week, um, is section520.org. And section 520 is from the California Evidence Code. And when you look at section 520 of the California Evidence Code, what you'll see is the accuser bears the burden of proof. So what translated, you accuse, you tell me I got to do something, you got to prove it. Let's go back to the courtroom setting. You get to walk into courtroom with empty hands. You don't have to lift a finger. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to prove you're innocent. Whoever accuses you, visualize your accuser carrying two briefcases, one in each hand. Now visualize bricks being in each one of those briefcases. They don't get to put those briefcases down until they prove you're not innocent. They got to hold those briefcases until they prove with evidence that you're not innocent. All you got to do is stand there and listen to what they have to say. If, they, if you know what the evidence is that they need, have to have a mandatory duty to move into the record that establishes um, that you're that you're not innocent. Hey, you don't have to you don't have to lift a finger. They're the ones that have to do all the work. So again, my website is section520.org. And again, hopefully uh, it'll be um, accessible uh, or by this weekend, maybe early um, early next week. It just depends on how quickly. Earthlink takes care of their business. Uh, I sent them payment last week. But um, in any event, uh, there, there's a lot of – I've published a tremendous amount of information at my website, and uh, it's, it's astonishing what we're not taught going to school. 
Um, what I've learned in addition to the driver's license thing is that uh, we're not required to pay sales tax. The sales tax is on the retailer, not the consumer. Um, for the same reason that you gotta you gotta pay registration fee and the, the license fee or whatever uh, whatever you want to call it. Whoever has the privilege, whoever exercises the privilege, is the one who has to pay. So when you go into a, a store like uh, Office Depot, oh, and by the way, I have the receipts to prove what I say. Um, I purchased everything from a bottle of beer to a laptop, and I haven't paid sales tax, and I have receipts. So when when you uh, when you go to the store, what the retailer is going to do is they're going to shove their 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 privilege tax on you, but you you're not required to pay it. And it, and so uh, for you folks in California, head over to Revenue and Taxation Code section six zero five one. Revenue and Taxation Code six zero five one. You're going to see like 15 or 18 words, and it'll tell you who, to whom the the, re, the sales tax applies. And you're going to see the same exact words in in five more sections underneath or subsequent to 6051. The same exact words. It's on the retailer, not the consumer. I've got I've got tons of cases that tell us this. As a matter of fact, there was a recent decision from the California Supreme Court. Two women uh, sued Target. Uh, they were taxed on coffee. These women have been working this case since 2007, <laughs> and it just went up to the California Supreme Court, and the California Supreme Court held the same way the Court of Appeals held. They came flat out and, and tell, they, they, they tell us that the tax is on the retailer, not the consumer. And that's the beauty of, of Supreme Court and appellate level and other you know, court decisions, state and federal. The courts will tell you what the rules are. The courts will tell you who won and who lost and why. All the answers are in court cases. And then when you get I, – I, I, uh, I was just reviewing actually a, a court case uh, yesterday. Um, that started out in 2009. A guy was arrested because he parked in a, 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 a no parking zone. He was arrested. He was taken into custody. So they sued. It went up to uh, the Court of Appeals, and uh, the court held that you know uh, you don't you don't you don't win, folks. And they'll tell you exactly why. This, this elderly man and his wife w were not successful. They didn't do something. They didn't put something in their, in their pleading that they should have done. They didn't, in other words, they didn't comply with the rule. As a result, the court didn't give them what they wanted. So they, in fact, provided the court with an, an escape route. Now, if you guys want to see something interesting, let me... Uh, let me Tell you what the uh, correct section is here um, of the California Vehicle Code. <clears throat> oh, that would be here. It's the definition of park. If you don't know what the definition of park is, you're never going to be uh, <laughs> be able to do this. 
but uh, it, it's it's pretty trippy. Uh, park or parking? Um, where is the definition? Okay, here we go. All right. Um, this is in California Vehicle Code, Section 463. California Vehicle Code, Section 463. Park or parking shall mean the standing of a vehicle, whether occupied or not, otherwise than temporarily for the purpose of, get ready, and while actually engaged in loading or unloading merchandise or passengers. Commercial context, ladies and gentlemen. Want to know how to beat a parking ticket? Seems pretty straightforward. Arranged to have a hearing with the uh, parking enforcement officer who stuck the paper under your windshield wiper blade. Then you get to ask him some questions at the hearing. Hi, how you doing? Uh, uh, on on uh, such and such a date, uh, did did you put this piece of paper under my windshield wiper blade? Yeah. Great. Now, prior to doing so, uh, where was I? What? Where was I? Was I in the car? Uh, no. Was I around the car? Uh, no, I didn't even see you. Oh, okay. Uh, did you see any, uh, you know, boxes or anything, you know, around the car? No, it was just the meter was expired. Oh, okay. Looks like there's a sufficiency of evidence issue here. Because parking has to do with loading or unloading merchandise or passengers. Somebody's got to prove this stuff. You don't have to prove it because you're innocent until the accuser proves you're not. Ladies and gentlemen, what they're doing is they're inverting the burden of proof. They're shoving all the, all the burden off onto the innocent party, and they don't want you to figure this stuff out because once you do, it's going to interrupt their cash flow, their cushy little scheme they got going on here. Now, check this out. This is from the California Streets and Highways Code. It's Section 31502. As used in this part, parking places includes parking lots, garages, buildings, and other improvements for the parking of motor vehicles. Now, how many of you folks on this call are, uh, are of the belief that that thing out in your driveway or in your garage is a motor vehicle? Probably the majority of you, if you haven't seen the definition of motor vehicle. And by the way, there is a, a definition of motor vehicle. There's a colloquial definition, which is what everybody uses. You know, my car, people call it a motor vehicle. But there's also a technical definition. And as a matter of fact, you'll find this technical or legal definition in the Code of Federal Regulations. Now, a lot of people on this call who, who study this word probably know where I'm going with this. It's Title 49. And Title 49 of the Code of Federal Regulations is has to do with transportation. That's the context. They're setting the context for the definition found at Section 390.5. That's where definitions of words like driver, interstate commerce, intrastate commerce, motor vehicle, and operator are found.
Are you still there? Uh, did we lose you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, what happened? Is that you there? Rich? Hmm. Something happened. I don't know what. Rich, we lost you. Come back on. Uh, hmm. Wow, I don't know what happened. <laughs> he was on a roll there. And, uh, hmm. Rich, if you can hear me, I don't know, hang up and call back in maybe. I don't know what to tell you. <clears throat> or if you're on here, let me see. I, well, you know, I unmuted this one. Uh, is that you? Rich? I have a central coastal California here and, uh, I just unmuted you, but perhaps perhaps your phone is muted. I don't know what happened. We lost you. I can't hear you. It looks like you're talking, but I mean, hello? Rich? I don't know. Maybe you unplugged your headset or something? I don't know. Good grief. <laughs> it's not working. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. Keep trying. I can hear noise in the background, but I can't hear your voice if you're trying to talk. There's clicking. Hmm. Unplug your headset and plug it back in. Maybe that'll do it. That is so weird. Sounds like pots and pans in the background, like you're in the kitchen or something. So I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> what is going on? Are you, you? It looks like you're still there. You're lit up on my board here, but uh, hmm. Hey, can you go to the Skype window and type into the Skype what's happening on your end, Rich? I've got it open. I'll put hi. Oh. Oh, you don't have... Oh, this is... Oh, you don't have Skype. <sighs> okay, well. Good grief. I don't know what's happening. Huh. Um, try hanging up and calling back in I think that'll work I hope you can hear me I don't know what's going on uh, you just dropped off there so <laughs> no Janine I don't think it was an act of God but you never know <laughs> I don't think so <laughs> Oh, Mamma Mia. Well, uh, hmm. 
I've got two people in line with their hands up to ask questions. James 262 and Michigan. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I hope you're not continuing to just talk and you can't hear me. Oh, my goodness. That would be terrible. That's a terrible thing. Um, We left off on uh, Code of Federal Regulations, Title 49, 390.5. So if you come back on the call, and pick up where we left off, but uh, oh gosh, there I just muted you out again, and now I'm muting you, unmuting you again. Does that help, Rich? What happened? Where are you? Calling all cars. Be on the lookout for Rich Iverson, who's out there in the ether somewhere, and we can't hear you. So. Oh, my goodness. Call Rich, if you can hear me, hang up and call back in and then put your hand up. Oh, my goodness. Well, everybody, I don't know what to do at this point. <laughs> well, I... Mamma mia. Oh, blue blue lotus traveler, you wanna you wanna talk? Okay, you talk while we're waiting for Rich to come back. Yeah, who? Greetings. I haven't talked to y'all in a long time, but I know Rich very well. Rich is a sorry what? I know him very well. We talk Rich Iverson. Yes. Oh, okay. (laughs) You're coming in really badly. Yes. Got a crappy Obama phone. <laughs> but I just wanted to say where he's going with this on his last things is pointing to the direction of <clears throat> they're operating under the always under the assumption that you are engaged in commerce simply because you have a license, simply because you call it a motor vehicle or they call it a motor vehicle. And uh, this this is the, where the commercial crime is because people don't comprehend or don't realize and don't know how to um, engage with the system in the private as opposed to the commercial. And they don't know the, the definitions of words and they don't study the law. The important parts of the law are the laws of evidence, for one, and things such as sort of federal regulations under transportation. But in particular, parking, like he was talking before, is a commercial term. If you're, pa- if you're loading passengers, passengers is a commercial term as well. Passengers are what ride on buses and taxi cabs, et cetera, et cetera. But when you are not carrying commercial activities, um, whether it be hauling passengers or hauling freight, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, then you're not engaged in commerce, and this is what the problem is. And the cops don't even know this stuff. Um, fact of the matter is, is um, when uh, you have people in the car, and the cop sticks his head in the car and says, "Are these your passengers?" Or they, he might even 
implies such a thing. Um, he's asking you to tell him that you're in commerce. And he doesn't even know he's asking that, but that's what's going to go on the record. The fact of the matter is, there's a term that everybody used to use that nobody uses anymore because it's kind of out of the lexicon, and that is called freeloaders. And they used to call it, and people used to embrace the idea that, oh, if you're a freeloader, you're just basically uh, somebody who's, uh, um, you don't want to be called a freeloader because you want to know that you're not. Um, you know what, um, bootloaders traveler, I believe he's back. So hold on a second, okay? All right, yeah. Are you back? Is that you, Rich? Yeah. It, well, it, yes. <laughs> okay. Fine. I figured it, we lost you for a while there. What happened? I have no idea. I just got I got to the end of a motor vehicle, and then the call dropped. And then oh uh, my gosh! I called back in a few times, and and it wouldn't. It it told me that the uh, ID number was was not identified, or it was assigned to some, or it wasn't. Uh, the time for whatever, but anyhow. That is uh, so weird. Gosh, well, you left off at Code of Federal. What we heard, what I heard, was Code of Federal Regulations, Title Forty Nine, Three Ninety Point Five. You were going into that. Yeah, um, and but, you know, I wanted that, to mention that I also, go ahead. Uh, while I was going to my email to email you and try to find out what was going on, I got an email from a gentleman. Um, Named David Lynn, saying that you helped him in his traffic matter. Cofelt calls treason on the judge, April 6, 2015, Lakewood, California. He says, my first time on your call, if, if it was not for meeting Rich online in January, February, then I would have never known how to handle myself in court, never in court before as a defendant. Last November, I was in an auto accident with an out-of-state driver who sideswiped me as he sped by. The cop assumed it was my fault, stating I had to get in the other lane to get to my place of employment. I just left work to a doctor's appointment and had to reroute back towards work due to traffic backup in I-70EB. I told the cop, don't you dare put words in my mouth. Two hours later, he served me with careless driving charge. I have never been charged with a thing in my life. I listened to Rich, who I met online, that a friend of ours, Lazarus, who referred me to Rich's calls on Michael's rule of law program. Iverson gave me instructions and hoped to stand my ground, to which I did call treason on the judge, which was witnessed by three uh, people. Audio attached. So I got an audio here. Was it attached? Audio, uh, yeah. Very good. I love when people give me testimonials, you know, on our guest speakers. It's wonderful. Well, well yeah, it was, that was a pretty interesting case. I mean, I got a headache listening to this guy. But, yeah, Dave Kofelt, man, I mean, he stepped up. And, and, and it was really great because what he did was he made the prosecutor offer him like three or four different offers you know well how about this i mean if you do this we'll do this and he's gone no so basically what dave was doing was say was was telling him prove your case now um i i I don't know if dave included it in in what he sent to you but the the guy who sideswiped dave um and and dave pulled off pulled off the roadway and into a, a parking lot 
<laughs> parking lot. That's what we were talking about. And uh, they weren't unloading passengers or merchandise. But they stopped there. And uh, it was about five minutes later that a cop showed up. So a cop didn't even witness anything. So when I heard, when I heard that, that there was no cop on scene and a cop showed up five minutes later, I'm thinking to myself, well, this is beautiful. They're never going to win. The cop didn't see anything. How were they possibly going to prove this? So I knew from as soon as he, as soon as he t- told me that the cop wasn't there for, on scene for like five minutes, I'm going, dude, you're going to win. Their witness is, is, is not credible. He, he didn't see anything. And, and, and that's one of the things you want to that, that, um, you want to consider when you go to court is that without, this is why the mob kills people. You get rid of the witness, you get, they got no case. So one of the things that you want to do and big hat tip to Dave, because he, you know, he's a, he's a smart guy. He, he, he did. I didn't really, you know, tell him what to do because I'm not an attorney. I just told him what I might do. And he kind of ran with it and was successful. And, uh, but but the thing you want to do in court when you have the opportunity to examine the the officer is you want to focus on uh, or at least I want to focus on witness credibility issues because because in, it, when you look at California Evidence Code Section 702, it it te- it informs us that nobody can testify unless they have personal knowledge of what they're going to testify about. So a really great way to, to uh, construct a, a question to an, uh, an officer is, excuse me, officer, do you have personal knowledge of vehicle code section 40300, et cetera? Now, that's a yes or no question. And if the officer ha- is a typical officer, their ego is going to answer for them. They're going to say yes. And this is beautiful because they're playing right into your hand if you know the limitations on the officer. And again, if you ask a few well-constructed yes or no questions, that officer will admit he followed a rule that doesn't exist after testifying it did exist. How do you beat a traffic ticket? I can't think of a better way. Well, there's two, there, actually, there's, there, there's two methods, but uh, are two methods. There's the, I guess, the longer way around Johnson's barn, as Mr. Jones might say, uh, or... There's a more direct approach, which is, uh, um, and, and this is something that Richard, uh, Richard McDonald has promoted for since I, I've been aware of him, and that is just stand there and shut up. They're the ones that have to do all the work. All you have to do is ask maybe one or two questions. Officer, uh, do you see me, uh, uh, you know, getting paid for doing anything? No. You have a receipt or an invoice, bill of lading? No. Okay. Uh, nothing further, Your Honor. Defense rests. And then your closing argument. Now you're, you're probably going to have to run this up on appeal, but your your argument is insufficiency of evidence. They never comply with their obligation, and the obligation is to prove every element of the crime. Driving is a commercial activity. It's business. Do they have any evidence you were engaged in business at the time the cop observed you? Yes or no. And as I mentioned when I was uh, preparing this, this opening brief on appeal, unfortunately, this is one of these, these folks uh, who mean well, but they don't follow through. So I went ahead and prepared what I considered a, a really great brief, opening brief on appeal, and the guy decided not to run it up on appeal. Oh, man, I just wanted to beat him. But 
uh, notwithstanding, see, I wanted a clean win. And uh, um, it was really aggravating when he decided not to run it up on appeal. But I can't make people do what they don't want to do. That's not part of the thing. I, I just help help move furniture around or, you know, props on the set. But you know, it's not my production. So if they if they want to stop in the middle of the, of the thing, I, I got to swallow hard. And it's really, really frustrating, uh, especially based on the, the transcript. Now, I have I have the trial transcript. And and the judge flat out states that infractions are not crimes. The guy's name is Maldonado. He's in uh, he's a judge in in Monterey County, and he says flat out on the during the trial that uh, you know my guy was correct, and, uh, in, and speeding's not a crime. Infractions are not crimes. Well, <clears throat> hello, <laughs> that's great stuff. You got a judge, but then he turns around and and finds him guilty anyway. So. Again, one of my one one of the uh, the issues that I raised on appeal was okay. They they established that the guy's license was suspended, but they never established that he was getting paid at the time he was doing what he was doing. They never they never proved the commercial element, and and this is really really important. And I'll tell you why. Because in nineteen or, or uh, in two thousand three. Actually, it's March 12, 2003. There's a killer court case out of the uh, Fifth Circuit. And the name of the case is uh, United States of America versus Donald Keith Burton. United States of America versus Donald Keith Burton. This is an incredible court case. And one of the best parts about it, it's only three and a third pages long. I mean, uh, I don't know if you folks read the uh, the first Obamacare ruling, but that was like 190 pages. Uh, so I'm a big fan of short and sweet. Um, Is that what was that? That was USA United States of America versus Donald Keith what? Burton, like Richard Burton. Oh, okay, B U R T O N. Right now, here's the here's the number. It's zero two. Dash six zero four two eight zero two dash six zero four two eight, and it's uh, out of Mississippi. It's an appeal from the United States District Court to the Southern District of Mississippi. Now, before the call terminated, before I was reading some, I was about to read some definitions uh, from uh, Code of Federal Regulations. And, and again, driver means any person who operates a commercial motor vehicle. And then they have a definition of motor vehicle. Motor vehicle means any vehicle, machine, tractor, trailer, or semi-trailer propelled or drawn by mechanical power and used on the highways in the transportation of passengers or property. And then the next word is operator. And next to operator, it, it is driver now uh, this this uh, definition of motor vehicle is found in title 18 of the United States Code at section 31 and it is uh, chapter 2 it's part 1 crimes 
chapter 2, aircraft and motor vehicles. And then here's the definition of motor vehicle. When used in this chapter, the term motor vehicle means every description of carriage or other contrivance propelled or drawn by mechanical power and used for commercial purposes on the highways in the transportation of passengers, passengers and property, or property or cargo. Used for commercial purposes means the carriage of persons or property for any fare, fee, rate, charge, or other consideration, or directly or indirectly in connection with any business or other undertaking intended for profit. A motor vehicle is a device used, it's a tool used in the transportation business. So my property is not correctly identified by the term motor vehicle. So if an officer identifies my property as a motor vehicle in open course, as well, I observe the uh, defendant driving mo his, his motor, uh, in his motor vehicle, objection, Your Honor, assumes evidence uh, uh, not before the court. Assumes facts, not in evidence. He, the officer can't identify the thing as a motor vehicle unless he moves evidence into the record that establishes that's what it is, and they never do that. So the objection is assumes facts, not in evidence. He cannot make a conclusion about something or someone without having first moved evidence into the record that establishes that. That's how it works. So when you hear... Uh, the term out of order, that's, that, that's, that's what it means. There's a, there's a sequence. Uh, for example, you folks who bake cakes and stuff like that, you know you're not going to get the end product unless you add some eggs and flour and sugar and some milk and other stuff first and you have some heat. So there's, you know, it, it goes through a process, just like adjudication in a courtroom. So when a cop identifies you as a driver or, or, or you're, you're property as a motor vehicle, a, 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 a proper or an appropriate objection would be, objection to the term motor vehicle assumes facts, not in evidence. Now, I, I, I'm just helping a buddy recently. He was in, in court at a uh, uh, trial for a suspended license and registration issue, and uh, the, the deputy used the term, and he promptly objected. Objection, Your Honor, to the term motor vehicle. Assumes facts, not in evidence. The judge overruled it. All right, fine. But my guy still got it in the record. So that's, a, that's appealable. The judge was incorrect. So um, what, what, the, what the prosecution never does is they say, oh, you didn't have a plate. You didn't have, a, you didn't have this or you didn't have that. But they never proved the commerce thing. Now, I'm going to go and this, again, this is a brilliant ruling. You're not going to believe this, but it's true. <laughs> a jury found Donald Keith Burton guilty of carjacking in violation of 18 U.S.C. Section 2119, Count 1. Possession of a firearm by a convicted felon in violation of 18 U.S.C. 922G1 and 924A2. Count two, and brandishing a firearm during a crime of violence in violation of 18 U.S.C. 924 C1A, two lowercase i's. Count three, 
This guy did a carjack, a convicted felon did a carjacking with a weapon, and he was busted with a stolen car and the weapon he used to steal a car. He's going back to jail for the rest of his life. Here's what the court goes on to say. After he was sentenced, Burton timely appealed, claiming that there was insufficient evidence to sustain his conviction as charged. We agree. For the reasons that follow, we reverse all three of Burton's conviction and vacate his sentence. A convicted felon who used a loaded weapon to carjack the car he was busted in walked. And the question is, why? You're about to find out. Standard of review. We review an insufficiency of the evidence claim in the light most favorable to the government. Because Burton failed to renew his motion for judgment of acquittal at the close of the trial, we review his claim to determine whether there was manifest miscarriage of justice. That occurs only where the record is devoid of evidence pointing to guilt or contains evidence on a key element of the offense that is so tenuous that a conviction would be shocking. Analysis. Burton challenges his conviction on counts one and two, asserting that the government failed to prove a nexus to interstate commerce, an essential element of both crimes. Specifically, Burton argues that the government failed to prove that the vehicle involved in the carjacking and that the firearm he possessed had been, had been transported in interstate commerce. Ladies and gentlemen, this is laughable. I mean, this is funny, but it's true. In addition, Burton challenges his conviction on count three, branching a firearm during a crime of violence because the government failed to prove an essential element of the predicate crime of violence, the carjacking. The government concedes that it failed to prove that the firearm involved uh, traveled in interstate commerce and agrees that Burton's conviction should be set aside on count two. He got the government to agree with him. Thus, the only issue before us is whether the evidence is sufficient to support Burton's conviction on counts one and three. Burton argues that there was insufficient evidence to support his carjacking conviction because the government failed to offer evidence that the vehicle involved, a Nissan Maxima, traveled in interstate commerce. The government asserts that although it failed to offer evidence of interstate travel, it was within the common knowledge of the jury that no Nissan Maximas were manufactured in Mississippi prior to the date of the carjacking. The government offers only speculation to support this contention. We have acknowledged that the juries can use common knowledge when considering evidence. Nonetheless, because the government's evidence was too attenuated to find the defendant convicted as charged, we determined that but for the government's misconduct in the trial, appellant would never have been convicted and reversed the conviction. The evidence here, uh, what, my, my apologies, similar to Flores Chapa in the present case, but for the government's acknowledged oversight in this trial, Burton would never have been convicted. The evidence here is not merely too attenuated to find Burton convicted as charged, but rather it is worse 
there is a total absence of evidence to support the interstate commerce element. The government failed to make a persuasive showing that the presence or absence of a Nissan manufactured in, manufactured in Mississippi was a matter of common knowledge of jurors in Mississippi. Because the government presented no evidence whatsoever that the Nissan traveled in interstate commerce, a key element of the crime, we conclude that Burton's conviction for count one amounts to a manifest miscarriage of justice. As there is insufficient evidence to sustain Burton's conviction of carjacking, Burton's conviction for brandishing a firearm during a crime of violence, as alleged in count three of his indictment, must necessarily be reversed for failing to prove the predicate crime of violence, namely carjacking. Conclusion. Burton's convictions for carjacking in violation of 18 U.S.C. 2119, count one, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, in violation of 18 U.S.C. 922-G1 and 924-A2, count two, and brandishing a firearm during a crime of violence in violation of 18 U.S.C. 924-C1A, two lowercase i's, count three, are reversed, and Burton's corresponding sentences are vacated. Accordingly, we remand to the district court for proceedings consistent with this opinion. Reverse, vacate, and remand. Ladies and gentlemen, a convicted felon who stole a car with a loaded gun, who had the gun with him when he was busted in the stolen car, walked. Why? Because the government did not carry its burden. It didn't do its job. It didn't comply with the rules. They had to let him go. There was insufficient evidence. This is what's happening in every single traffic case in this country. It's what happened today. It's what's going to happen tomorrow morning and tomorrow afternoon on both the morning and afternoon calendars. Nobody is going to prove that the accused or the defendant was involved in commercial behavior. Well, uh, you know, you, you, you're, you're driving without a license. Well, says you. Well, you didn't have a license. And, well, you're supposed to have a license. And, well, you didn't have one. And, you didn't prove I was doing what, what, what you, you claim I was doing. Are, are you nuts? So, again, driving is an occupation. It's a job. It's a profession. Now, I'm going to read a, a court citation. This is from the California Supreme Court. A license proper is a permit to do business which could not be done without the license. That's, that's not what I said, ladies and gentlemen. I, I said the words, but I didn't write that. This is, this is from the Cal... Go ahead. Can you, I was going to ask if you could repeat that. Yeah. Uh, a license proper is a permit to do business which could not be done without the license. And you're going to find that in a court case entitled City and County of San Francisco. Anybody want an ice cream cone? The truck's going by. Uh, City and County of San Francisco. Hey, versus... <laughs> Very good. Uh, uh, City and County of San Francisco versus Liverpool 
and London and Globe Insurance Company. Liverpool and London and Globe Insurance Company. And the site is 74 Tau 113. 74 Tau 113. That holding is from 1887. A license proper is a permit to do business which could not be done without the license. Now, most people believe that sitting behind the wheel of a car and going somewhere is driving. Okay. Well, just because you've been issued a license doesn't mean you were actually doing what the license permits at the time the cops stopped you. Just because the license you were issued was suspended doesn't mean you were doing what the license permits at the time the cop stopped you. Now, just because an attorney has a license doesn't mean that he or she is doing what the license permits 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And just because a cop accuses an attorney of practicing law in a suspended license doesn't prove the attorney was practicing law at the time the cop accused him. And just because a building contractor has a license to build or repair houses doesn't mean he builds or repairs houses 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You don't do what the license permits while you're asleep or taking a shower. So let's say a cop uh, accuses an attorney of practicing law on a suspended license while he's taking a dump at a stall at a Denny's. Does that prove he was practicing law? No. I know. This is absurd. It, 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 if, if, we, if we understand what's actually taking place, we're actually going to come up with the right questions to pose to our accuser. That, that's, that, that's the value of looking at the actual words provided by the legislature. Again, I took about, about seven years. I'm a little slow on the uptake. <laughs> but uh, I took about seven years to develop a line of questions. And, and no cop can get out of it. It's impossible. And the questions are just a series of yes or no questions, except the very last one. The very last, last thing you say to the cop is, you know, what's, what's the section? What's the no- you want a number from the cop. It, it's, a very, it, it's very reasonable and logical. This is one method. It's not the only method. The other, the other method is insufficiency of evidence. I mean, you don't even have to ask the cop, you know, any, any questions other than, hey, do you see me uh, doing any business at the time or prior to the time you stopped me? No. Yeah, you have a receipt or a manifest, bill of lading, or, uh, uh, or invoice or anything? I was, uh, I was doing any business? No. All right, thanks. They got a sufficiency of evidence because they never prove an element of the crime, just like in the Burton case. So is going to church or using a car or truck when receiving no compensation or fee to use the car regulated under the vehicle code? No. What's the vehicle code regulate? Commercial travel, commercial use of the streets and highways in a device uh, or, or equipment identified by the term motor vehicle. A motor vehicle is a tool. My, my truck 
is, is not a tool. It's not equipment. It's personal property. It's personal chattel. It's the very stuff that I get to acquire, possess, and enjoy secured by Article 1, Section 1 of the California Constitution. I have the right to acquire, possess, and enjoy property. I don't need my servant's permission to use my property for non-commercial travel purposes over the streets and highways. I use it. I don't drive it. You want to take so, some questions? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Or do would you want to finish up what you were saying, and then we can take questions, or what? Whatever you'd like. I mean, um, you know, I can blather on here. I mean, I got, I got, I got thirty years. I could, I could, I could go. I don't think I could squish it into an hour or two. But um, <laughs> well, we've already uh, gone two hours. I know. I'm a, I'm a blowhard. Believe right, me. It's good. It's all good information, though. Everybody's enjoying it. But we have people lined up to ask you some questions. So why don't we do Outstanding. that? Outstanding. Let, let, let's go ahead and get some folks <laughs> on here. And yeah. First up, we've got Michigan. Go ahead, Michigan. You've been unmuted. Do you have a question? Hello, Angela. Hello. This is uh, King Morpheus L. from uh, Pontiac, Michigan. Okay. Did you have can a question you for good? our guest? Yeah, we can hear you real good. Um, I just want to uh, really uh, acknowledge the uh, talk, the speaker and tell him that he is right on point with everything that he is saying. I've been listening to you, Angela. And I, I also, want, before I say any of that, I, w I would like to say hello to you and thank you for this platform. And oh, I've, been listening, I've been listening to you for over two years. I've never dialed in. I've never, um, you know, gave my opinion on anything because I've been studying myself. But um, everything that's going on in these courts and everything that's going on with the people versus the corporation. Um, they are administrating the bankruptcy. And um, this country has been in bankruptcy since 1933, as everyone knows. And when we go to court, um, one thing that I've experienced is that I've been able to articulate to them that um, this is a taxable event. And when you exit, when you, when, when you go into court and the prosecuting attorney is uh, coming at you, um, with paperwork saying that you did this and you were violating this or you were operating at this point or that point. What I have learned is that what I, I've asked for discovery right at the point of contact, and I asked them for the W-9, the 1040, and the 1099. And when you go before the court, um, when they ask you to state your name for the record, I asked ask the judge or the magistrate, I asked them, if I, if I state my name for the record, am I entering a contract with you? They cannot tell you yes. And what happens is, is that you stop the court in the proceedings because they are evading taxes. They are violating uh, certain uh, IRS codes that cannot be uh, substantiated or put on the record. And they do not want you in their courts. And also, any public official or any attorney who is bringing evidence into the court cannot uh, put evidence in the court because they are they have no first-hand knowledge and they they are not allowed to speak and they are not allowed to admit evidence. Are in the you record. in the wind? Are you uh, in, walking outside or something? No, ma'am, I am not. That is that is someone else in your background um, that that may have some background noise. 
lot of a lot of wind sound. Anyway, well, that's good to know. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, that might be uh, more pertinent to another call on the subject of the bankruptcy. But I know. No, Well, go ahead. Yeah. Actually, what, what, if I what, may, but if if, if go it's ahead, okay. Rich. Yeah. Yeah. What I'd like to say is that's that's uh yeah that that that's useful because um for as far as I'm concerned that's useful for the following reason these guys don't want to admit what we know and so what this gentleman is suggesting is sticking something in front of them to put them in a very awkward position they either know or they don't know if they if they don't know they're incompetent number one. If they do know, they're criminal. But they don't want to admit this stuff, because if they do, the game's over. But but what I'm hearing suggested is uh, leveraging that black robe into a position of no win. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I appreciate your, your, your acknowledgement of that, because that is, that, is the foundation, that is the foundation in which they stand on, because they are foreign agents, they are they are unlicensed and unregistered, and they have no jurisdiction over any of the people. And once you know your standing, because they have no standing, and they have to prove it, they they must get a, a letter from the secretary because they are insolvent and they have a disability that they have to overcome, which they cannot overcome. And um, they have no firsthand knowledge. And every attorney in every case has the same disability. And once you bring that forward to the court, because they don't want you to put that on the record, but when you do it in the private, you, when you want this to be a private communication, because court is supposed to be done outside of the venue. But when they bring you in the venue and you're able to get it on the record, that is when your appeal stands, because you're able to take the transcripts and everything else, and you're able to alleviate all of those uh, misrepresentations that they bring, because they are nothing more than debt collectors. Now, 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 all this stuff is based on my awareness. All that is accurate. And I'd like to offer this. The vast majority of people won't be able to articulate what you just did as expertly as you just did. And, and un, unless people can talk whatever their comfort zone is, like I, I know about that, but I won't, I won't raise that issue. Why? Because I can't talk it forward, backwards, upside down in my sleep or underwater. You can. So uh, I, I think that, you know, that, that's a, a valid information. At the same time, um, my focus has been on uh, putting them in the same position, just using, diff, you know, a, a different aspect of this stuff. They don't want people to know that this is commercial. That, that we're talking about. So what I've attempted to do uh, over the years is get people to think in terms of rules. See, I believe I can teach a, a 10-year-old how to, how to do a traffic case. And, it's, and, and the reason I say that is because kids, they, they know what rules are. When we were little, people, we would get pushed. You ever been pushed, Mr. Michigan? You ever been pushed when you were little? Absolutely. Okay. You know what that is? You broke the law. That's a little kid's interpretation of you breaking the law. You broke a rule. Bam, instant justice, summary judgment right then and there, right? Okay, so as, 
Right. As we get older, we don't want to go there because some of us are bigger than others and we might, and someone might get pushed back and it could get ugly. So my point is that kids understand rules. So what I like to use is words that, that a child would understand. And if, it, and if an adult says, what do you mean rules? I know I got an idiot or a gamer. Either way, they're going to suffer. I'm going to punish them. Because what they're doing is they're messing with me, they're messing with my rights, they're trying to get into my wallet, they're trying to make me look like an idiot. Not going to happen. So uh, some of the, a few of the questions, officer, are there procedures or rules that are, that are applicable to you when you enforce the vehicle code? Yes, there are. Really simple. They're accusing me of breaking a rule. No problem. Maybe I did. But, but, but I'm not going to talk about speeding. That's what they want to talk about. What I'm going to talk about is, hey, cop, did you follow the rules? Well, yeah. You know what the rules are you're supposed to follow? Yeah. Now, he's committed to a position. Officer, uh, uh, are there uh, rules and procedures that apply to you when you enforce the California Vehicle Code? Yes. Do you have personal knowledge of those rules or procedures? Yes. And were you in compliance with those procedures? Yes. Hey, guess what? I just got a cop to admit he complied with a rule that doesn't exist. He Absolutely. doesn't know it. He, he doesn't know it, but, but he did that. And you know, and you know uh, who actually admitted that? His ego. Why? Because he doesn't want to stand there. How many people, how many people on this call uh, like admitting they're a dummy? I don't know, man. No, I really didn't know. Hey, it's embarrassing. Look, it, I, I, I don't have a problem admitting I'm ignorant. As far as I'm concerned, uh, that's an asset, being able to admit, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like, like when, people, when people hire me to help them with a case, one of the first things I tell them is, look, if I don't know something, I'm not going to make anything up. Because if you find out that I'm lying to you or I don't know what I'm talking about, you're, you're not gonna, you're not, I'm not going to eat. You're not going to hire me. You're not going to work with me. So if I don't know something, I'm going to tell you I don't know because my credibility means a lot to me. But, and people don't like admitting that they don't know. But I, I, I have no problem with that. I di differentiate between stupidity and ignorance. See, as far as I'm concerned, by admitting ignorance, that's, that's like uh, going to Thanksgiving dinner. You show up with an empty stomach, you leave with a full stomach. Makes sense. Seems practical. So if I admit I'm ignorant, you can teach me something. I'll trade you some ignorance from, for some of your knowledge. That, that makes sense to me. So I don't have a problem admitting I don't know something. My ego, I, I mean, my ego is about the size of Michigan, but, uh, I, you know, I can deal with it. A lot of cops won't. And we can take advantage of their ego. Their, their ego is going to open their big fat mouth and say stupid things. So I appreciate the work that you've done. And um, it's valuable. There's a lot of people who are using that approach. And, um, and at the same time, what I'm experiencing is, uh, is, is uh, a lot of obstruction and a lack of acknowledgement and recognition. Maybe they're, they're recognizing it, but they don't want to acknowledge it in court over, one, infractions are not crimes. If an infraction's not a crime, what the hell are we doing in a criminal action? Uh, absolutely, and, you know? and and what I and and what I would like to confer to you is that 
Um, they want to turn everything over into criminal, but just like a foreclosure or anything else, what they do is they're they're doing adverse possession, and you can right. get foreclosed on, and you can you can get foreclosed on, but in all actuality, they would you can go back to the county record, the register, and you will find that the name of the property of the original owner is still there. What they do is they 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 use uh, the the mailings, which is a uh, mail fraud. They use it to scare tactic you, paper terrorism, and they send you out messages saying vacate the property, do this net. We're gonna send bailers out. We're gonna do this net. And what they do is they scare you out of your property, and then they use the abandonment law. Anyone who has been foreclosed on, you can go right back to the county records, and that 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 information is still in the in the original owner's name because they cannot transfer those those titles because those are securities and securities have to be can only be done by the secure party or the, the original creditor and and we all understand now that we are the original creditors we are the ones when you go into a dealership or anything else we leave the 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 our applications and our checks as abandoned property and after a certain period of time it, it gets closed out and they are allowed to collect that property what we what we are not doing we have not learned the administrative process in terms of responding to these people because they 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 send us fraudulent paperwork we have not learned how to communicate with simple mailings sending it back to them asking who they are um validation of the debt Ver verification and valid validation is very very important that is the first rule of law because if you cannot validate whether the the so the alleged debt is coming from there's there's no plausible or standing to bring the case and and what we have to do is is learn to uh ask questions and interrogate them and in in such a way in our discovery that is that is uh uh indefensible and 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 most of the time they have no first hand knowledge and you're not dealing with the original creditor you're dealing with lawyers and attorneys who have no uh, authority to bring the, the claim whatsoever and what our people need to know and what we all need to um, um get together is is having a mandate the people need to come come together with a mandate a worldwide mandate with the people with all your information or carl lynch's information uh high frequency all the other platforms that have been out here saying all these different things we need a people push we need a worldwide recognition that the airway is great angela's platform is great we are doing it and and and, and obviously you're we're reaching more people than you thought you may be reaching but at the same time there needs to be like a tag on on the corner of every corner saying the people come together you know what I'm saying because the corporation is trying to take us over and we need to stand up because there's there's really no president there's really no government everyone their only government in name, and the people re retain the power, and we must stand for our power. I, I, I agree, and I, I'd like to offer this in response. I worked at a collection agency for five years. We offered uh, process serving, collection agency judgment enforcement, and uh, small claim preparation and filing service. Um, I've, I've been personally successful in 15, at least 15, um, uh, efforts where the collection agency hasn't collected and so this is what I like to offer in relation to what you just what you just said because uh, I've, I've 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 done what you've suggested a lot of people do uh, in fact three of the efforts and had to do with the franchise tax board they wanted money but they didn't get it so uh, I, I agree with you and 
uh, and, and I'd like to offer some practical uh, steps or, or, or things that people could do. Now, typically, what people are going to get is a boilerplate letter with red writing on it, you know, I'm going to huff and puff and blow your house down, bullshit, okay? But it's never signed. So the objective is to not um, argue or debate whether it's legitimate or not. The objective, it, this is what I've, I've come up with in, in my efforts, and again, I've been I'm like 15 for 15. What I do is acknowledge receipt of the unsigned presentment. Mm -hmm. And then I write, I don't understand. And then I write something along the lines of, this appears to be an effort to collect a purported debt. Please provide me with the following uh, information immediately so I can verify, validate, authenticate, Blah blah blah. Uh, please provide me with please provide me with the name of the employee who made the de the determination. Please provide me with uh, their supervisor's name. Please provide me with uh, copies of all documentation, paperwork, whatever um, you know for my records because I have no awareness of this, and uh, you know do so immediately. Uh, and then I put it at the bottom a notice. Notice you. Uh, California uh, Civil Code Section 18. You have 10 days, 10 calendar days. There are 10 days to provide me with what, I'm, what I've asked for. Mm -hmm. In the event I don't receive what I've asked for within 10 days, this shall signify that your records are in error and this matter is concluded. Kind of leave Absolutely. it at that. All right. So, so that's what my I, what line. I, what I, I always use that. That's that's what, what I put at the bottom of my, all my letters to the <laughs> entity. Yeah, cool. Now, now what I do is I start off nice. Uh, I'm a dummy. I don't know what's going on. Help me out here. I need your oh, and I also include. I I require your cooperation so that I uh, so I can understand what's going on and make an informed determination about how to proceed in this matter. So all I'm doing is due diligence, okay? And and Absolutely. and so if all right now, I need to see what I need to see within ten days. Now if I don't get that, or I get some kind of sidestep uh, kind of thing in response, another like huff and puff letter. Now I'm going to ratchet up the aggro. Uh, you have not provided what I've asked for uh, it, it, within ten days. This matter is concluded. Uh, your, uh, um, let's see, how does it go? Um, the use of the federal mail for nefarious or other uh, extortive purposes is a federal crime. And then I refer to the, uh, the, uh, the section in, in 18 USC, I think it's 1001, you know, mail fraud. I, I resort to that, which is subject to a fine and or imprisonment. And, uh, and then I also refer to uh, latches. And that they've in the first letter, I'll let them know that your failure to do so, you will also have created an estoppel predicated on latches and acquiescence by silence, barring your pursuit of this matter. So, so if they come back at me with another one of those boilerplate letters, 
they're putting themselves in a one-down position. And by the way, I, I also add I declare under penalty of perjury that the foregoing is true and correct. Now, why do I do that? Because I'm upping the ante. They got to match me. Someone's got to sign their paperwork, and it's got to be signed under penalty of perjury. Otherwise, I've got the best evidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, so and, any, and, and I, yeah, go ahead. And 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 brother, you you are you are right on point, and and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And 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 what I would like to offer, because I know that time is is, is of an essence. Um, my email address is thirteen, the number thirteen, untouchables, at gmail dot com. That is gmail. That is the number. <laughs> yep, that's the number thirteen, untouchables. Don't forget to ask at gmail dot com. And um, I, w- I would love to to expound further, maybe do another show on on just expulsionary um, evidence and, and cases that, um, Angela, what I would love for, for us to do is everybody come on with their, uh, of, of what the evidence of what you've been able to do. I'm, I have been in a foreclosure. I have been through um, an, an eviction uh, notices. I have been through court. All, all types of issues with my family, my children, and everything, and 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 I have so much to share and so much energy, um, so much from the ether that is so important um, to this foundation and to where we're, where we're trying to go. And I want to reach out to everyone on this platform and let you all know that that we are fighting, we are fighting, and we are the true sovereign people of this nation. And there is one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all and we will get to that point and i appreciate you my brother and and i i hope that you email me and that you and i can get in contact and maybe we can put up a show with angela but this this is so imperative and and i'm i have a i have a group of young people that i'm working with just my family uh my 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 sibling my children um who who are with me and their friends and I'm trying to build a foundation with them because they seem to be the ones who are more uh, expungent to uh, absorbing this information right now because a lot of people are sleeping, have been uh, downtrodden. But we are here to uplift fallen humanity, and that's what this cause is all about. And I so much appreciate you and your efforts, and everything that you have said tonight is right on point. Continue, my brother. Thank you. you. You know, everybody needs to do that, you know, get with their family, friends. If everybody did that, the message would get out there quicker and and maybe we could get somewhere faster. But thank you so much. Uh, Did you say your name was King? What was your name? King Morpheus L. For the record. King Morpheus L. All right. Very good. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mr. Michigan. All right, man. Rock and roll. Thank Alrighty. You. <laughs> Next up, we have your D pool ten. You've been unmuted. D pool ten. Go ahead. Do you have Dave. a question? Hi, Dave. I'm the gentleman who sent in the document about how Iverson helped me out. Oh, Dave, oh. how you doing? How you doing, man? I'm doing good, Rich. Thanks for all having right. me. Yeah, thanks for participating in the call, man. I appreciate it. And and yeah. uh, again, again, congratulations for your success. Uh, they're few and far between. And uh, you know, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your uh, 
you know, considering what I had to offer and it actually working for you, uh, I got to tell you that hearing all the permutations <laughs> that you went through uh, was just, I mean, talk about headache central, man. But you, you know, as a rookie, you caused them to, to spend so much money and and that is that is just so cool and and again i i just want to applaud you for the effort you made and uh you know stepping up and moving forward with it and uh you know your your success so you know i appreciate what you did man it's great well one of the, one of the things i think everybody needs to understand is uh no matter what the issue is you're going to go into court for for any reason there's a couple of pieces of homework you need to do before you even get to court the very first piece of information you need to look into is, number one, does the judge have an oath of office? Number two, is it certified? That's another That's another story I can get into. Uh, what about the cops? Do they have an oath of office? What about the prosecuting attorney? Well, you know, when, when I turned around and called treason on the judge, prosecuting attorney wanted to dismiss the charge. I told the judge she can't dismiss the charge. She has no authority. She has no oath of office. Oh, yeah, she has an oath of office. Held up the document, not according to the clerk. Well, I read your case. I read their case. You both want it dismissed. So I'm not going to accept your case, but I'm going to accept their case. All right, Judge, here's what you've done. You've denied me due process. You're in violation of your oath of office. You took the support Constitution of the United States and, and the Constitution of the State of Colorado. You're in violation of of these oath of offices, and you, Judge, are committing treason. That's what I have to say to you. And to stand there and say that to the judge and, and just straight out, carte blanche, you know, bam, in your face without her without her being able to deny it was great. And then when I asked if I, if I bear any witnesses, and I have three witnesses all stood up, says, I bear witness, I bear witnesses, and third one says, I bear witness, I ordered the prosecuting attorney and the judge arrested. That was, <laughs> now it's, that was on record. And the only time any, a ju- anyone can be committed of treason in a court of law is, number one, if they admit it, or number two, it's witnessed by two or more. Well, I, I had a witness by three, and it's on record. But I would never have been able to do any of that without uh, Rich's uh, matter of fact of, of standing up for my rights and knowing what some of the questions I'm going to I'm going to need to ask, and uh, well, doing my homework and studying and studying and studying and you know having my ducks in a row and uh, uh, and having some support with uh, some some local people who uh, were there for me as well. You don't want to go into court alone. Well, well, I can't, I can't take credit for um, suggesting or recommending you accuse anybody of treason. That was a pretty ballsy move, bro. You know, I mean, I, I think I think the questions that I, I supply to people are, are pretty ballsy and provocative in and of themselves, but I really can't take credit. So big hat tip for you for going in there and, and uh, you know, stepping up and, and saying that. I mean, that, that takes some serious... Uh, Sackage, if you know what I'm talking about. That's not, you know, saying stuff like that is not for the faint of heart. I mean, this stuff is deadly serious, and uh, you deserve a lot of credit for, you know, stepping up like that. And and one of the things that uh, 
I really appreciate is um, the folks who, who came along with you, you know, a support group. Um, I've, been, I've been doing this now. Uh, interestingly enough, um, when I decided to move from Southern California in 1998, um, the day after I gave notice to move out, I got a ticket. It was actually the first, my first, uh, you know, time up at bat. No plates, no license, no registration, blah, blah, blah. I was in court cases for four years, back four court cases back to back. I had moved from my support crew, Richard and, and Steve, and I was doing long-distance communications. I didn't have a computer back in the olden days. Basically, what I had was, you know, a couple of cans and some string. That was it. You know, I was using this uh, battery-powered typewriter to do all this stuff. I made four trips down to Southern California, four, you know, four hearings in, 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 that, in that particular trial. And, and, and as a matter of fact, um, I appealed that case up to the California Supreme Court. They, they chose not to review it, but I did it. I got it. I got it. I got, all, I got it all the way up there, and um, they chose not to hear it, and that's, that's a choice. Uh, but I did it. And uh, I did it, with, of course, with Richard's help and, of course, with Steve's help. But we got, we got it up there. Now, here's what I found out in my case. The prosecutor, and you're absolutely correct, the prosecutor didn't have an oath of office. That was one of the issues I raised. As a matter of fact, I, I did petitions for writ of mandates. And they, they kept being denied, you know, without any opposition. Nobody would file any opposition. And then when it came to the date of the trial, I was found guilty, and I subsequently found out that the judge who was sitting on the bench didn't have an oath. They're, they were from a, 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 a different county from I forget where, but they weren't, they weren't authorized to, to do what they did. So that, that, was, that was another issue on appeal. And um, I, have a, I have a buddy in Minnesota. And uh, he, was, he, he was going through a really nasty uh, divorce uh, action. And uh, so what was happening in it, the, the, the judge was clear, demonstrably biased. And he had an attorney. And the attorney's objections were, were constantly, chronically, routinely being overruled. They're completely valid objections, and they're being overruled. So... At one point, I, I, I say, John, uh, why, don't you, why don't you check and see if, if the judge has a, a, an oath of office? What he found was that she hadn't filed one, so they did a, 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 a recusal. They, they were going to recuse the judge for uh, bias, and then he, uh, unfortunately, he, kind of, he, he left a part out of it. And uh, the, the part that he left out was that he didn't know uh, he, he, he did find out that, that uh, she hadn't filed one. That was one thing. But so anyway, the, uh, the recusal hearing took place. She sat on her own recusal hearing and ruled in her favor, even though one of the issues was she had never filed an oath. Uh, four days, he didn't know this until after the, the hearing, the recusal hearing, he found out uh, a few days after the recusal hearing that not only had the judge not filed an oath, 
She had never sworn one. And she only swore the oath two days before the recusal hearing. So he run, he, he, they ran it up on appeal. The appellate department dismissed it out of hand, ruled in favor of the judge. They went up to the court of appeals. They deferred to the appellate department. No, she's good to go. She didn't have to, you know, it, it was okay. This woman, he, he actually ran it up to the uh, uh, Minnesota Supreme Court. The Minnesota Supreme Court, and actually I, I was uh, instrumental in drafting the, the – uh, the the cert uh the the supreme court sat on it for like six months because they were dealing with another jurisdictional uh case involving a judge this this had to do with jurisdiction someone who doesn't have an oath doesn't have jurisdiction again jurisdiction not only means geographic but it's also authority so what he found out, he got a, docu- a letter from the Secretary of State informing him that not only didn't she uh, file an oath, but she never swore, swore it. Now, check this out. She was, she was appointed as a replacement judge by then-Governor Tim Pawlenty. She actually, there's a photograph of her being sworn in by the governor. She then threw her hat into the ring and wanted to be elected a judge. She was elected. She, she, she won uh, and was elected judge. She never swore the oath. Three years and two weeks, she never had an oath. And then she gets this recusal document because, well, of course, she had to be served. And she re- she he, she she re- she finds out that he found out she never filed an oath. So she went out and swore it, and then and then filed it. Now, here's, here's a question I had. If she didn't have to have the oath in the first place, why did she go swear it? Apparently, that was lost on the Supreme Court. Interestingly enough, every other judge in her jurisdiction had an oath. So either she's wrong or they're wrong. One of them's a dummy. But I couldn't agree with you more. It's a great point. Ladies and gentlemen, Find out who you're going to be in front of wearing the black robe. Get down to the city clerk or the county clerk's office and just ask them if there's an oath on file. If there's no oath on file, what you want is a statement from the county clerk or the city clerk that there is no oath on file. As a matter of fact, um, in my last court case that I was actually successful in, uh, I uh, discovered that the arraignment commissioner had no oath of office. And I got a statement from the city clerk uh, informing me of this. So I got it. And uh, so at, on the date of the trial, the judge asked, uh, okay, Mr. Arvison, you're you ready to go. And I go, well, Your Honor, there's a little housekeeping uh, I have to take care of. Well, well what's that? Well, Your Honor, um, uh, I, uh, I have a document here from the city clerk uh, informing me that uh, arraignment commissioner uh, Hoatrin Glassy uh, didn't have an oath of office. So I want to hand that to the bailiff, have to take a look at it, move it into the record. So he, uh, so he gets the copies that's moving into the record. He looks at it and he goes, okay, I'm going to de- deny that as untimely. I'm standing there looking. Now, interestingly enough, 
this, this commissioner who was sitting on the trial, I had actually disqualified him during a preliminary hearing. And he, and he came out from behind chambers, you know, and, and assumed the bench. So I'm sitting there looking at this guy, and he looked at me, and he knew what I did, you know, a few weeks before, but he still assumed the bench. And uh, so we, any, anyhow, uh, I, I, I didn't disqualify him yet because this was the first opportunity I, opportunity I had to test these questions that I had spent like seven years putting together. So what I wanted to do was field test them. I wanted to actually test them in a case, and this was the first opportunity to do it. So I sat there and kept my powder dry, swallowed hard, and, and raised these other issues. Now, one of the reasons I disqualified him at the preliminary hearing uh, was because he denied an unopposed demur. Now, I had filed a demur not with the district attorney's office, but with the police department. Why? Because I knew that the DA doesn't play in infraction cases. So I never served them. So at the preliminary hearing, a woman shows up, and I thought she was an assistant district attorney. And so, so she, uh, she's acknowledged by the commissioner. He actually knew her by her first name, called her by her first name. And so she goes, well, Your Honor, we, ju we just got a copy of this from the Los Gatos Police Department a couple of days ago. So, you know, we're, we're requesting uh, some, you know, some additional time so we can respond to this. And so after she gets done saying what she's saying, uh, the commissioner turns to me and goes, Mr. Iverson, you have anything to say? Well, yeah, Your Honor, uh, you know, I, th these guys don't play with uh, uh, participating in infraction cases. I never served them because I know that they don't participate in infraction cases. And besides... If you know, they knew about this after the officer filed a notice to appear anyway, and if they had any objection to it, they should have stepped up long before today. He goes, okay, uh, well, I'm going to go ahead and deny the uh, DA's request for additional time. I'm going to go ahead and deny the demur. Objection, Your Honor. There's no opposition. They, 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 haven't, they haven't objected to anything. So anyway, he kind of is attempting to save face, and then I go, okay, well, you're disqualified, you know, bias, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, as I'm leaving the courtroom, I asked the, who I thought was an assistant district attorney if she was going to be representing, if she was the attorney of record. She said, no, this other guy is. I go, great, can I get his number? She gives me his number. I go home. I call the guy who's going to be the attorney of record. I call him up, and he, he discloses that the woman who appeared in court was not an attorney. She was a law student. And I'm sitting there scratching my head going, huh? What I found out was there's a program in Santa Clara County whereby under certain limited circumstances, law students are permitted to appear on behalf of the DA as long as there's a supervisor. Well, in this case, there was no supervisor. So this was another matter of housekeeping that I raised prior to trial. I pointed out to the court that uh, whatever her name was, was a law student. She wasn't there supervised. So my argument was, Your Honor, the people never appeared. They abandoned their case. They never showed up at the demur, you know, at the, at the uh, uh, motions hearing. 
so they abandon their case. What does he say? Oh, okay, I'm going to go ahead and deny that as untimely. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? So I, I'm, I'm just making a record. I know I'm making a record. He's being an idiot, and I'm making a record. And uh, so anyway, long story short, uh, you know, we the trial commences, and uh, the uh, DA pr- puts on his case, asks the cop all the typical cop questions, were you in a, in a uniform, Mark Carl, this other nonsense that they typically typically ask them then it's my turn so uh you know this was again this is the first opportunity i had to test these questions the cop couldn't have been more cooperative it was great you know and and i got to the kill shot the kill shot's the very last thing you ask for and he pretended he feigned ignorance i knew he was i knew we understood he was just pretending he didn't so I, i i go uh officer would you like me to rephrase he goes yeah I, I said the same thing exactly the same way. So he's looking, he's looking at me like, you know, the deer in the headlights stare. And uh, I go, Officer Jim's saying, no, I don't, you would you like me to rephrase? Yeah, okay. All right, so I said the same thing. I, I said the same thing the same way three times. All I was doing was making him look like an idiot in front of his crew. So finally he answered the question, and he said he didn't know. At that point, I turned to the commissioner. I go, Your Honor, I move to have the court dismiss as a, to remove this officer from the courtroom as an incompetent witness for evidence code section 702. He's testified that there's uh, procedures that apply to him, and uh, that, that when he enforces the vehicle code, he's got personal knowledge of those procedures and uh, that he was in compliance with them. And when I asked him which one, he said he didn't know. Your Honor, the officer, the officer is, is not in compliance with evidence code section 702, so I moved to have him uh, removed from this courtroom as an incompetent witness and his testimony stricken from the record. Oh, man. The uh, commissioner, he's all, and then the DA is all, anyway, the commissioner refused. Well, by this time, I had gotten everything I wanted. I wanted to test my questions. I got them tested. I got all the stuff I needed on the record. I threw in the towel. Nothing further, Your Honor, defense rest. Put on the closing argument. I, 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 I demonstrate that this guy didn't know what he was talking about, blah, blah, blah. I was found guilty. Fined 550 bucks. I get my opening brief uh, uh, on appeal filed within 30 days. I'm good to go. I'm thinking I'm going to get a reply brief within 30 days after I file mine. Nothing happens. 30 days comes and goes. Nothing happens. I get nothing. I'm sitting there scratch, you know, stroking the hairs of my chinny-chin-chin going, what's up? Well, I don't call anybody. I don't send any letters. I'm just sitting back waiting for a reply brief. Another month goes by. I'm scratching my head. What's going on? <clears throat> Who knows? Another month, another. Ten months went by. I got no reply brief from the DA. About uh, ten and a half months later, I get a letter from the Superior Court. The $550 fine had gone up to 880 So I, I crafted a letter to the head court clerk of the court system pointing out that, hey, yo, uh, I haven't received any re- reply to my opening brief on appeal. What's up? Two weeks later, I get an offer from the presiding judge to dismiss my case because apparently my opening brief on appeal had gone missing. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I filed my own paperwork. I took it to the traffic court first, got all the copies file stamped. Then I went to the appellate department. 
got all the copies file stamped, left them with their copy. Then I went to the DA's office. They file stamped their copy. They file stamped my copy. They kept their copy. I went home with my file stamped copy that all three of those, the traffic court, the appellate department, and the DA got their copies. I got my copy. And I'm being informed by the presiding judge that my, my opening brief appears to have gone missing. I don't gamble. For all you folks who do gamble, ladies and gentlemen, what are the odds that three agencies are going to lose the paperwork? You probably probably have greater success with the uh, lottery. <clears throat> so anyway, long story short, the uh, presiding judge uh, offers to dismiss my case because they can't, can't find my paperwork. Well, I wanted, I wanted acknowledgement of these questions. I wanted a clean win. I wanted to know that my interpretation of the law was correct and accurate. I didn't want to win by default. You know, I didn't want the other guy hitting in the eight ball when it wasn't his turn. I wanted to hit the eight ball in when it was my turn. That's how I wanted to win. Anyway, what I did was I, I blew off the, the, the gift horse. So I sent the uh, presiding judge a, uh, a response saying I'd, I'd like to contact the uh, DA and find out if they filed any opposition. I sent three letters over a three-month period of time, and they did exactly what government offices do. They don't respond to you. So one day I called, and, and I spoke with the uh, assistant district attorney who was assigned my matter. And, she had, and so I said, hi, I was just calling to find out if uh, you guys filed any opposition to my opening brief. And so the, the lady was kind of taken aback, and she goes, well, sir, we, we can't seem to find it or something like that. And I go, oh, okay, great. Well, but did you file any opposition? So she's getting a little annoyed with me. I, I want to hear the magic word. I want to hear one word, and it begins with the letter N. That's all I care about. I just want to, I'll, if I can't hit the eight ball in myself, I'll settle for the big N word. So uh, and I want to hear it from the DA's representative. So she goes, well, well sir, we can't seem to find him, blah, 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 whatever. And I go, okay, well, thank you very much, but uh, did you guys file any opposition? <laughs> she's, she's, now, she's now cranky. She wants to crawl through the phone and slap me across the face. No, sir, we can't, you know, sir, we haven't you And I, I go, ma'am, I just want to follow up. She goes, no. I said, thank you very much. Okay, I hope when you find it, let me know. Thank you, bye. Hung up. I, uh, I then crafted a letter to the presiding judge letting her know I, cl I just cleared the line with the uh, DA's office, and, and I was informed they filed no opposition to my opening brief on appeal, and I accept your offer to dismiss my case. So a couple of weeks later, I received a copy of the uh, order dismissing my case. It was an absolute mess, so I called the uh, judge's um, secretary, and I said, ma'am, did, did uh, Judge Gallagher write this? And she goes, oh, no, sir, I, I did. I've never done it before. And, ah, and I go, ma'am, don't worry about it. I, I, you know, I'll make some modifications if it's okay with the judge. She, oh, Ms. Robertson, please do. It's okay and everything. Okay, okay, great. No problem. So I, 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 I modified the, <laughs> this, this, uh, this document purporting to be uh, an order. And, and I sent it over, and about a week later, I got the modification. There was a couple of minor adjustments. I sent it back over. A couple of weeks later, I get uh, the paperwork from the judge dismissing my case in the interest of justice. Now, my presumption, my thinking is the reason that they dismissed my case is because they didn't really want to answer the questions that I put in my opening brief on appeal. Because if I'd have got to go in and talk to some judges at the appellate department about those questions, I, you see, that would have been part of the record. 
And if it had been part of the record, then you folks could have read, read the, you know, the, 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 the holding. And you'd know. So even though I didn't get a clean win, uh, I'll settle for the no that they chose that the DA's office chose not to oppose my opening brief. So everything I put in my opening brief and the questions that I posed, they didn't want to they didn't want to answer those questions, especially on the record, because if if they did, it would have to be published, and all you folks would know. So the reason I'm I'm sharing this is I just wanted to uh, you know Dave brought up a great point. Uh, not having an oath, that's fundamental. That's one of those things you've got to find out because, because if they don't have an oath of office, look, they're an employee. And that oath is, is part of our insurance policy that they're going to comply with the rules that they agreed to follow. And if they don't have one of those things, then what they're doing is breaking the law. Just in my buddy's case up in Minnesota, that, that, that person sitting on the bench wearing that black robe is a poser, a usurper, a trespasser who's getting paid by the people in that county. And, she, and she's, she hasn't qualified. She hasn't met conditions precedent in order to be qualified to do what she's doing. It's a scandal. And she's still on the bench to this day, and the Minnesota Supreme Court turned a blind eye. This guy got hammered in his case. This is a travesty of justice. This guy, man, was just, just talked, raked over the coals, abused. Anyway, so... Uh, Thank you for letting me blather on about all that. And Dave, thanks, thanks so much for bringing up those points because they're really important, man. And uh, again, I'm, I'm really appreciative that, you know, I, I was able to provide you with something you could use and you were successful in your case. I guess he clicked off. Yeah, he muted himself. Yeah, thanks for the email, too. Uh, okay, next up is California. I appreciate that, Rich. Oh, there he is. <laughs> thanks, Dave. All right, California, you've been unmuted. Do you have a question for uh, Rich Iverson? Yes, I do. How are you? Hi, Dallas. Hi. I mean, I've been waiting a long time. So. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I, I I got disconnected. I disconnected myself and had to call back in. Oh, I gosh. I'm back at the end of the line. Um, but um, I want to ask Rich uh, a few things that he, that he mentioned. And actually, I have a few questions about a few things he talked about, but I just want to make sure he gives me some really brief, quick answers because I know you've got to get back to your son and I need to get back to my dad. We're both caregivers. And uh, uh, But I talked to you, Rich, a couple of years ago. We were down here in Southern California. And uh, But a uh, question I had, about, uh, you mentioned that you learned from Richard McDonald. How long have you been studying under Richard? Well, I... Uh... That, that's a great question. Probably like about 1995-ish in that neighborhood, maybe in, in there. Um, so maybe I met you back then. I, I knew uh, I've known Richard since, well, actually when I went, he only had seven people in the room where we used to go to the Granada Forum up there in San Fernando Valley. Right. And, right. Did uh, you? and I brought a whole bunch of people over because I liked what he said in that sense. Piemon came over, and Mitch Modelescu, and now Paul Andrew Mitchell came over, and all those guys came over. And um, and that's when Richard was wearing his blue California State Citizen T-shirt with his jeans and his old tennis shoes. And uh, we used to go to his house uh, past the dump truck with the country directions and his hairless chihuahua and all that stuff. Yeah, I remember Richard. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen him in a while, for a while. But, I, you know, one thing, 
one thing that I like what Richard did, but then we had brought a whole bunch of people, and I used to record it for him this before digital cameras came out. We used to, I used to do it with the VHS. I still have those VHS uh, tapes of the original meetings that Richard did. And, Wait a uh, minute. Were, were you the guy who was videotaping him? During I was those... videotaping every time for him, yeah. Oh, dude, get out of here. Home. You know how... Man, I've been asking Richard about you. Who is that guy? You're the guy with the blonde hair? No, 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 no. I have grayish hair now, but I had dark hair. Well, okay. Well, well someone... No, there's was another guy who started doing it professionally afterwards. I oh, was okay. doing it first for Richard. And then yeah. this other guy came up and he set the whole thing up professionally with a big camera, yeah. the whole professional camera. Right. I just had a small yeah. VHS I used to do for Richard. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, but... Uh, but then we used to go to his house. We helped him get on Nexus, Lexus, and everything else like that. So the internet first started coming in. But yeah, uh, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, I liked what he did. But I, I asked him a question one time, and I because uh, he used to drive that beat up VW, and I asked him a question. I say, well, Richard, what happens if you know I get me a nice brand new BMW, which I thought he had gotten one later, a nice brand new a BMW, and uh, with no license plates on it, and they take my BMW. He said, well, get another one. I said, you going to pay for it? We're like, okay, maybe this is not what I need to do. And uh, yeah. I, I didn't go to too many of his meetings after that because I, I had other things to do. But um, but no, he's he's been you know, what he does is very very good. And but he was a former cop, and uh, he figured things hey, yeah. out. So yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I want to find just how long. Yeah, maybe I knew you back then. I don't know. I used to be back there with Piemon, helping Piemon with his table and. And uh, okay. yeah, 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 Lasky yeah. with his, his uh, federal zone yeah. work that he had. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, but he's been on some of the calls here. It's uh, Paul Andrew Mitchell now is his name now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, uh, uh, one of the questions I had, um, since you're, you're doing a lot of that with Richard and know a lot of court cases, that was one of the things that I really had a tough time with court cases, something I didn't ever get into too much. But... Um, uh, and Richard wanted us to read all of these law books, court case books. I just had a hard time getting into that. Uh, but uh, a couple of years ago, my brother was at a traffic ticket case, his. He got a, a traffic ticket in Moreno Valley, California. And he went there. And what I usually do, and a question I had you mentioned about making sure that everyone gets it recorded, recorded, on record, on record, on record. How do you normally get people to get that on record all the time? Well, the first stop is going to be arraignment, correct? Right. Okay. So when your case is called or when you're called, uh, first thing out of your mouth is, Your Honor, um, is this being recorded? I mean, it's just that simple. Is this being recorded? If they say no, Your Honor, I have nothing to say off the record. You know, I'd like to get a court reporter in here. Now, when I first started doing this stuff, I actually paid 20 bucks to have someone come in to record. That was up in Santa Clara County. I paid someone a hundred bucks one time. Okay, but so unfortunately, that's you know that was the cost of doing business, I guess you could say. Yeah. But the objective is to not say anything off the record. Exactly. So, so uh, you know, first stop is arraignment. So, so now this and, is one thing that this is one thing that I, I I've always done and I learned, and but I had my brother do it and they wouldn't let him do it. And this is why this is the question I have for you. Everything I've done is always California Constitution says that uh, the parties of litigant must stipulate for the commissioner to be a temporary judge. Well, I yeah. never stipulate. I tell them I'm not stipulating for you. Are you a judge? 
you know, and they'll, they'll just say, oh, uh, well, yeah, well, well, what do you mean? I said, are you a judge? I mean, do, are, you, are you on the Bar Association active or are you not active or whatever? Well, right. well you're an attorney, right? Well, oh, yeah, well, you're not a judge then. Then I don't care to stipulate for you because the California okay. Constitution says you don't have to. And they would always send me to see a judge. And the judge, it's a court of record, and there's a reporter there all the time. So I'll always get transcripts all the time. But uh, um, I had my brother do that, and the commissioner of Moreno Valley, who's a, they stuck this guy in there to get rid of people like me who were going to do stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I told my brother, make sure you have witnesses, and he didn't. And he walked in, and they left him, told, told him, sit down, we'll take care of you later, which he yeah. do to me all the time. And he, they got him up last, and no one else was in there. There you and go. the commissioner told him, oh, well, that, 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 that's not going to go here because uh, this is an infraction. That only works for misdemeanors and felonies. That's not what it says yeah. in the California Constitution. And he rattled off a few court cases. Do you happen to know any of those court cases that says that, that, um, that that's what he said it's supposed to be, that it's not for infractions? Because I don't no, see that in the California Constitution. No, no that, that, that's nonsense. And, and the way... It, it's easily verifiable. Uh, penal Code Section 19.6 um, uh, and 7, I believe. Uh, let, me, let me pull it up here to be sure. Um, penal Code Section, I think it's 15, uh, identifies crime, uh, felony, misdemeanor, and infraction. They actually group infractions with felonies and misdemeanors. But when you get to 19.6, what you see is, is that... Um, you don't get a jury trial. You don't get an attorney paid for a public expense if you're accused of an infraction. However, at 19.7, what we're informed of is that the procedures that apply to misdemeanors shall apply to infractions. The, ju- the, the commissioner doesn't know what he's doing. Okay. 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 Well, that, right? that answered my question right there. That answered okay, my good. question. Here's my other question, okay? And, yeah. Uh, um, earlier you talked about park and parking. And the yeah. California Vehicle Code. And yeah. uh, I read that. Okay. And uh, and I noticed it says where you talked about uh, engaged in loading and unloading of merchandise or passengers. Yeah. What I'm reading here, maybe you can, maybe I'm misreading it right here. It says that parks and par- park and parking applies to the, everything except for the actual activity of loading and unloading merchandise or passengers. Because it says otherwise than temporarily for the purpose of. Yeah. So that's just separating the two, that that unloading of merchandise and passengers does not apply to park and parking, correct? Okay. I'm looking at, at Vehicle Code Section 463. Right. And what I'm seeing is this is how it starts. Parker parking is in uh, uh, quotation marks. Is that what you see? Correct. Right. I'm looking at Shall sh- Okay. Shall mean the standing of a vehicle, whether occupied or not, otherwise and temporarily, for the purpose of and while actually engaged in loading or unloading merchandise or passengers. Is that right, what you Which means think? it doesn't include unloading of passengers and, and merchandise. Otherwise, then temporarily for the purpose means does not include that. That's what I'm reading. I don't know if that's maybe okay. interesting to say. All right, all right. Here's what, okay, this is what I do. Uh, I've been reading. I've been looking at this stuff for years. What I do is, is I go through and hi- and highlight in yellow. Like I'll, I'll transfer. I'll either put it in a, a Word Perfect document or um, like what I'm looking at right now is a, a PDF that I put together from a Word Perfect 
document. And what I highlight is Parker parking shall mean while actually engaged in loading or see that's the key. It's it, it's loading or unloading merchandise or passengers. That that's the key. Whether whether occupied or not, otherwise than temporarily. So whether it's temporary or not temporary, the the, the they they use the word purpose. Park or parking shall mean the per, for the purpose of. Now, uh, this makes sense because what are those big asphalt paved things out in front of malls? They're parking lots. What are people doing in them? They're either unloading merchandise, taking something back that was defective, or they're sticking merchandise in their car, right? Right. But I don't think okay. that's what that means, though. Well, <laughs> I mean, here's it means what if you're letting somebody off at a curb and they're getting out or they're unloading stuff, they're putting stuff in from that they bought. Yeah, okay. all right. So here, here's like – like, Kind of like at the airport. Unloading yeah. and people in luggage and stuff like yeah. that. Doing so, so, so you're going down the street in a neighborhood and you see a no parking between the hours of blah, 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 and blah, 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 right? Street sweeping or something, right? Right. And then, and then you see other signs that says no stopping, right? Have you seen those? Yeah. No stopping, stopping is different okay. than parking. Okay. Stopping okay. doesn't mean now, you turn your engine off. Right. Off. Now, 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 if stopping and parking mean the same thing, why don't they just have one sign? Why two signs? Because there's two different actions. means you leave your engine on. You don't turn it off. It doesn't say if you have some evidence. I, I used to deliver flowers. I, I don't care what you used to. I was in college. <laughs> Fine. I, what what, what I I'd like, no, no problem. Do you have a court case that says what, that supports what you just said, yes or no? Have you ever seen that written down in a court case, yes or no? Uh, what? What was that? About the turning off the engine. Uh, it's in the vehicle code somewhere regarding stopping. I forgot okay. what it was. All right. I, I, don't want, I, don't, I don't want to treat you like I would treat my adversary, okay? So let me put it like this. I'm an asshole. If you accuse me of parking or stop, I'm going to make hay out of this. So if somebody accuses me right now, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm helping someone with a parking ticket. And what I, what I don't want right now. Okay. Now, what I learned was, and, and now, was it issued by a, a police officer? I have no. Uh, yeah, by the police department, right? Okay. And and now, there's a company that's got an office over in uh, Long Beach or, or Huntington Beach or Newport Beach or something. It's it's uh, called a uh, parking or I I forget what it's called, but um, they're a private company. Someone from this company put this piece of paper under somebody's windshield. It's not a, it, it's just, it amounts to a bill. All right? And if you want to have an in-person get-together, that's called an appeal. Here's a question for you. How do you appeal something that's yet to be adjudicated? So anyway, I called the company. I found out who they were. Interestingly enough, they're not listed up at the uh, California Secretary of State's business portal. I don't know what the name of this actual company is, but they're not, they're not identified. The, the, the Secretary of State doesn't have any record for them, but they're doing business nationwide. It's a huge scam, but here's my point. If someone accuses me of parking, I'm going to make their eyes bleed and their ears bleed having to deal with proving that they saw me loading or unloading passengers or, or merchandise. 
Oh, you know, you know, Rich, I've had a parking ticket before in L.A. County. Yeah. And actually, I sent the information to Angela because uh, she had an issue a few years ago with that as to how yeah. I got that taken off. It took yeah. about two years. And, yeah. Uh, about a year and a half, and then uh, they ended up they ended up just deleting it eventually after because. I required everything from them. I want to know who is going to determine it. I want to know their their background, everything. I just asked for everything. And yeah. they let it alone for about a year. And then I, I went to find out what happened with it. And because they let it go for so long, I they wouldn't talk, they wouldn't talk to me. I eventually talked to everybody. I was writing back and forth. Finally talked to the director, and he said, what do you want, what do you want me to do? I said, I want you to make it disappear like it never existed. He said, okay. I ended up getting a, got a letter from him saying no longer exists, and uh, and it was a ticket that I got for parking at a meter, but uh, just as the meter made put the ticket on the window, but um, but yeah, I just saw that. This is a question I had, you know, how what you thought of. I just wanted to make sure of what you said about that because I'm looking at the conjunction word otherwise that just separates the okay, part so- of the sentence. Sure. So regardless, see, you're focusing on the time aspect of it. What I'm focusing on is the purpose. Okay. I'm not, I'm not interested in the duration. I'm interested in, in the, 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 the loading or unloading of the merchandise or passengers. Okay. Let me ask so, you my other question. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's my last question here. Um, well, you talked about Section 6051 in the Revenue and Taxation Code regarding yeah. sales tax and uh, yeah. regarding uh, being applicable to retailers. Yeah. Um, I read that, and it says in there regarding that, it says um, that it, uh, it's imposed upon all retailers at the rate of, Sean there, uh, percent of gross receipts of any retailer from the sale of all tangible personal property sold at retail in this state. Okay. That's not California. It doesn't matter where the retailer is in California. They can't charge sales tax anyway. Well, okay, help me in. Okay, so what's the question? My question is, you mentioned about Office Depot. Yeah. If Office Depot is in Newport Beach, they shouldn't be charging yeah. sales tax anyway because they can't, because they're not in this state. They're in California, according okay. to how, how the definitions no, are no, yeah, by yeah, definitions yeah. in the Revenue yeah. Taxation Code. Yes, I, I understand the in-the-state issue. <laughs> and um, what I'd like to – define it right there. They define it well, in the state in the Revenue Taxation Code. It's not an issue. Okay. It's defined. It's right. I'll give you the the. It's okay. uh, section six hundred one seven. Okay. In the Revenue and Taxation now, Code, right there, the same same sections. Okay. Um, and that, that's I, I federal area. That's what it is. Okay. I, 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 I bought a I bought a van last year for my dad. Got a van, okay. a wheelchair van. And yeah. what I told the what I told the dealer, I said, you know, I don't have to pay the sales tax. I'm only going to do this because the VA is helping my dad. That's federal government because he's a veteran. And you're doing it to help me to get this because I don't have a driver license, and neither does my dad. I haven't had one since I was dealing with Richard back in the mid-90s. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, uh, and I told him, I said, you know, the Revenue and Taxation Code says that's only applicable in the federal areas. It's not applicable where you are right here in Placentia. <laughs> okay. 
I said, but you know, I'll pay it because the federal because the, the federal government, the VA, is helping my dad get this van. They're paying for about half of it. So okay, okay fine, I'll do that. And it was fifteen hundred some dollars. So okay. I told him, I said, but I would go to the nail with you and show you the rules where it says that because it's okay. only applicable in the federal areas. That's all. Okay. Okay. Now, I don't have. Okay, you're correct. You're talking about a um, geographical jurisdictional issue, and I'm in agree in agreement with your take. Okay. Now, here here's a question I have for you, and it and it concerns practicality. What is an easier argument to articulate? Where Air you code are? Six zero one seven. It says it right there. Okay. Okay. I okay. I, I know code and sales tax says it right there. In this okay. state or in the yeah, state yeah. means within the extra okay. limits of the state of California and includes right. all territory within these limits right. requires to the United States of America. It says it right I'm not there. Th- that's their I know code. That's, that's their law for sales tax. Again, I'm not going to disagree with you. That's what's written there. But from a practical standpoint, look at it from the standpoint of you being a vacuum cleaner salesman. Okay and going into a neighborhood with people with dirt floors, you're probably going to have a hard time selling your vacuum cleaner. Now, the majority of people, the majority of managers you're going to meet in these stores won't know what within the external boundaries of the state means. They're going to look at you like, eh, what, eh? You know, they're not going to understand this stuff. So what I'd like to offer for your consideration is rather than focusing on where, Focus on who. Excuse me. Uh, you know, get the get the get the manager up to the register. Say you want to buy a printer, okay? And you get the manager up to the printer, and uh, you ask you ask him a question. Hi, yeah, I I, I didn't want to embarrass the uh, the clerk, but I, I just wanted to ask you a question. Which one of us is the retailer? Oh, I am. Okay, great. Now, what's it say right here at 6051 for the privilege of selling tangible personal property at retail? A tax is hereby imposed upon all, all retailers. So you, 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 just, you just identified yourself as a retailer, right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm buying it, right? I'm not selling it, right? It's a sales tax, right? Right. So I'm not disagreeing with your interpretation. You're seeing exactly what's written. It's not an interpretation. I'm reading their code. It's, they said it. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't do it. It's the state legislature. Okay. Oh, 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 okay. I know somebody used to do this all the time and never paid sales tax. Totally. That's what he used. <laughs> all right. Let me let me let me leave it like this because <laughs> because uh, I I appreciate your tenacity. You sell your vacuum cleaner any way you want, and I'll sell my vacuum cleaner any way I want. The way you're going about it, great. Uh, I mean, if you you're generating receipts. Bravo. As long as you don't pay the sales tax, fine, using whatever code section, whatever words you want. I'm simply preferring to focus on the who the tax is related to, not where it's imposed. I, I, I do that on who as well, too. Guess what other who that, that applies to? The Franchise Tax Board. Yeah, I the understand. Other who it applies to. They're not a retailer, but it applies to them. Yeah. Okay. But but again, because of their law. Like, like, okay. I I completely agree with you. Okay. But Mr. Michigan, for example, this guy knows his business. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't sell that package, even though it's true. Because one, it's it's more complicated for my little pea brain uh, than 
I, I can, or I want to deal with. It gives me a headache. I understood what he said, but I can't speak the language as well as him. So the same thing with the sales tax. I hear what you're saying, and I agree with you. That's what's written. It's a where issue in your view. I prefer to, to articulate a who issue. It's both. It's the who and the where. It's the who located right. where. That's what it is. It's just the which who is, located where. The only retailers fine. that do that are in the ones where my mother-in-law used to go to the naval, naval base in uh, Long Beach. That's I'm not, where they collect well, sales tax. They're, uh, fine, okay? I'm telling you what I prefer, okay? It's, it's simpler for me yeah. to just focus on the one. I'm dealing with brain-dead morons for the most part when I go into a store. These pe- I, I've, shown, I've shown these rules to people who, who graduated college. They're managing a, a, a national chain store franchise, right? And, and they're looking at words in right. black and white, and they still won't do it. I said, you can't get in any trouble. As a matter of fact, here, I have a question for you. Do you have a copy of the uh, employee regulations here? Great. Just find the rule in there that requires your employees to collect sales tax, and I'll, and, and I'll do it. It doesn't exist. There's the, it, yeah. You know, it, 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 it's, all, it's all fear-based nonsense. But anyway, um, I don't want to argue with you about it. You figure oh, no, out I'm a way to argue about it. I just, I just want to bring that up because – that's you something you didn't up. read. You didn't read the term in the state, and that's defined. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about right. terms and terminology and knowing the right. definitions. I'm just saying that's defined right in there. I, I, agree, I agree with you. You and I are in agreement. You can't, see, can't, can't argue it's about the, it. It's in black and white. <laughs> I'm looking at it, 6017. Sir, yeah. sir, with all due respect, I understand it. You understand it. There's different ways we look at it. It's kind of like, you know, everyone on these calls right here, a lot of speakers that come on, and both of us, we've all listened to him over the years. And, you know, and one guy I listen to a lot is Carl Lentz, and he, he's really good in what he does. He does it his way. Not that I do it like he does. I like what he does. I like what you do. I like what Richard does. There's different people. I like what they do. And I use little bits and pieces from everyone that works for me. And, uh, and, exactly my and, you point. Know, and, that, and that, that's how it should be used. I mean, uh, that's why mm-hmm. this is a forum to hear everyone how they do it. And this, for people like all of us coming right. in, like a guy who was there from Michigan who said, yeah, I have a lot of stuff that I've done and I'd like to share it, whatever like that, you know, that, that yes. it worked. I like hearing what people did, not what they yeah. know. I like yeah, and, to know and, what results they got. I could care less what they know. They can know a million and one things, but if they got good results, I want to hear it. Yeah, cool. If they and, got bad and, results, I want to hear what they did wrong, so I don't do that. <laughs> exactly, and that's, that's the beauty of court cases, because when you read court cases, they'll tell you why the, the party who is successful was successful. They'll tell you why the party who lost wasn't successful. So that's, that's really a, a valuable aspect of court cases. The other thing is, if you want to know the history of any subject, virtually any subject, read court cases. Cause they'll you know, tell there's you only two court cases I use a lot. I, I don't use a whole lot of court cases. It's use versus tool and use versus prudent. It's one that says, um, uh, silence may be equated with fraud when there's a legal and moral duty to speak, and you don't. It means you're committing fraud. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Prudent is yeah, you know. good. What's the, other, what's the other one? Use versus tweel, T-W-E-E-L. Okay, you're focused. Yeah, right, you're, so right, you're focusing. Right, yeah. acquiescence by silence and, and defaulting. That, that, that helps me when I write to the state government and the county government stuff. Yeah. They respond. If they don't respond, yeah. they know they're committing fraud. Yeah. <laughs> or the court. Again, yeah, yeah, the they're, court. They're, 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 they're dishonoring. They you. They're, they're dishonoring. 
you know, yeah, cause they're not responding because, because exactly. they're saying so, silent. They're saying yeah, you. Exactly. Well, yeah. any, anyway, great, great points. Okay. You're, 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 you're reading, you're re- you, what you're seeing is true and correct. I agree with you. My approach is different, but you're successful with yours. Keep, keep going, generate those receipts where you paid no sales tax. It's working, man. These are constructive solutions. So big hat tip and bravo. Yeah. Keep up and the good work. Hat tip to you for a lot of things you're doing. Thank and you, Helping sir. a lot of people that way. I do what I can. Thanks for your, thanks for everything. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. You're welcome. Thank you. It's always entertaining when Dallas is on. Well, what do you think? Uh, let's see. Is there anyone else? Nope. There is no one else. We've gone three hours. In 23 minutes. What do you think? Should we call it a night? Sounds good to me. Can I uh, actually leave some contact information if someone oh, would like to? Oh, please do. And also, okay. I, you know, I've posted your uh, your FundMe page link on the, my website, and I've also been putting – I have it in the chat here a couple of times, but go ahead and announce it so that uh, yeah, well, people if, can if donate you, to you. Yeah. I uh, Now, actually, uh, Dave, uh, he's been a really great guy. He actually uh, – uh, he was so appreciative of, of my assistance. He actually um, uh, came up with the buy-in to uh, participate in this this crowdfunding program. It's a donation-based program, and I, I, I don't have a – I haven't done as much due diligence about it as, as I should, but based on everything I've heard Dave talk about and uh, this really cool lady, uh, Patricia, uh, and uh, you know Kirk and and Keith and John, these people have uh, um, alerted me to this crowdfunding thing. And what I what I like about what I'm seeing is that it's a do- donation based thing. Um, it, it's kind of like it's not an investment. You're not going to get a return on investment. You're not. It's not a loan. No, nothing like that. It's if you like contributing and helping out, and you, you have an altruistic tendency. That that's what this is about. And uh, I kind of liken it to um, a musician on the street playing songs and people walking by and dropping a buck or two in their, their guitar case. Uh, nobody expects a guitar player to give it, back to, uh, give it back to them after they get done playing. So it's not a return on investment thing. It's just people donating and gifting and helping, helping others. And that's what I really like about it. And everybody I've met who's, uh, who's doing this, and again, I, I haven't done as much due diligence as I should, but uh, or I will do in the very near future. Uh, uh, Dave was uh, kind enough to uh, get me set up with it, so I have a uh, a, a page, and it, it's it's called Driving as a Profession, and it's uh, I'll give I'll give folks the link if if they're willing to uh, they don't mind donating a couple of bucks so I can keep going. Uh, I I. Um, it's HTTPS, as in Sam, and it's colon, forward slash, forward slash, and then one word, we share crowdfunding.com, forward slash, and another all one word, driving is a profession. And I, it looks like driving as a profession has to be capitalized. That that part's in caps. But the HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash we share uh, crowdfunding dot com is lowercase. But driving as a profession that that that's that's a, a page I have there, and there's a little donation button, and that'll give people an idea of 
what I'm about, what I offer, what, I, what I'm willing to offer. And uh, my email address is privacy at section520.org, privacy at section520.org. Unfortunately, I was stiffed by a, a, a client, so my uh, I can receive, but I can't send. And and hopefully, my uh, my email service will be restored. Hopefully, by this weekend or, or early next week, and I'll be able to get back to people. And my website will be accessible um, a, a after that as well. So, and and that's section520.org. But uh, you know, feel free to drop a line. And and I have some publications, by the way. I have a six publications about the the um transport uh, transportation stuff what what a traffic uh, what a traffic stop actually is what we were never taught about the driver's license um and i also have my sales tax brief if anybody's interested in that uh it, it contains court cases uh, um a lot of information from the franchise tax board from the franchise tax board's website uh, I believe I have the leading case in California on what the purpose of the sales tax is. It's called Roth Drug versus something or other. It's, it's a great case. It's from the 30s. It just lays it out and tells you exactly what it is, who, who's got to pay it, and everything else. It's really a great case. Um, so I have a total of seven publications, and uh, once my, my site's back up, I'll be able to refer people to my, uh, my educational materials a page. I can put stuff on a flash drive if you'd like, uh, CD, DVD if you'd like, whatever format you'd like, print, PDF, whatever. Uh, I can I can provide stuff, and uh, I look forward to hearing from people. And and again, um, Angela, thank you so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank everybody who took time out of their their day to stop by and listen in. Uh, time is very valuable, and I hope that I've. Uh, shared something that y'all can use. One of the things I really liked about Richard McDonald's broadcast when he was doing his internet uh, broadcast Monday through Thursdays, what I really dug about what he was doing was you, you would sit there and listen and you could, you could take what he said and use the next day. It's like going to uh, home, home Depot or Lowe's or something. You go in there, you buy a tool, you bring it home, you use it. And, and that's what I've attempted to do. I, I think that's a really great thing. I want to provide people not with conjecture or speculation, but with stuff they can actually use. It's located over here. This is what's written. Go get this court case. Don't believe me. Go find it. Get it yourself. Build your own uh, database. And uh, let's work together. I can share. Uh, so if you want to do this again at some point, um, we can do a, a war story uh, <laughs> a call if you'd like. And um, Whatever, I, like but doing, I, I, I like doing the, uh, like, mock court or moot court type things where you go back and forth yeah. where you, you say what the judge said because you were there and you experience it. I love that. See, that's all Actually, good information. That, that, that's a great idea. And this is one of the reasons that I encourage people to get, their trans, get transcripts of their hearings. Why? Because you have the record. And for role-playing rehearsal practice purposes, you can read the exact words that were said in a courtroom. So they, they, these are great uh, devices uh, mm -hmm. for, you know, learning how to, how to talk legalese and all that other kind of stuff. And you can see your words and you can, you can find out where you screwed up and you can modify, oh, if I had said it that way rather than that, 
And that's, that's another um, work that I do with people is, is dialogue, a lot of dialogue work and, and uh, uh, you know, letter, letter crafting and, and uh, question construction. I'll tell you, Angela, in conclusion, one of the hardest parts about law for me, notwithstanding um, getting, in, getting past the, the irk about reading court cases, because you read that stuff and it's like, what the hell is this? But I'll tell you something. You read enough court cases, it actually does get easier. Um, but in any event, uh, I, I, I just want to, again, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate your energy and your spirit and what you're doing for everybody, and uh, look forward to doing it again. Okay, Hi. great. Thank Angela, you so much. Angela, my, uh, Rich needs to give his website, his crowdfunding website again because it's not coming up. No, uh, it, now, my website is section520.org, but it's been down for the last month because a creep that hired me uh, to help him with two traffic cases breached his agreement and didn't pay me. And as a result, I wasn't able to pay Earthlink, so it's been down for a month. However, I sent him a payment last Thursday. So I anticipate my uh, – I, I, I can receive email. I just can't send it from my, my Earthlink at Section 520 account. But – uh, the uh, the web I anticipate the website and my um, email service being unsuspended. Hopefully this by this weekend or early next week. Well, it I'm just talking depends. about the crowdfunding site. Oh, crowdfunding! The, the one you gave is yeah, not coming up. Yeah, I put up. it up. I put the link on the uh, chat. Are you on the chat? No, I'm not on the chat. Oh, it's HTTPS. What do you want me to tell you? What it is? Okay. Uh, it's it's good to have it on the recording anyway. Okay, you ready? Okay. HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash we share crowd funding. All one word. Right. Dot com. Forward slash driving is a profession. I got there from oh. your link in the chat. Okay, good. Thank you. Okay, very good. All right, thank you so much, Rich. We'll have you on again, I'm sure, in the not too distant future. Let's not wait two years. Shoot me an email <laughs> if I forget. God, that's terrible. Okay. Well, I feel bad. I know you're a busy lady, and uh, again, I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks again for having me on. I want to thank everybody who's who's uh, participated in the call. You know, thank you. Thank you for your time and energy and, I, and sharing your knowledge with us and your expertise. I, it's it's a blessing to a lot of us. Uh, let's, let's, let's lock and load. Let's get the ball rolling here. Let's get people out from under this falling safe. <laughs> yeah, really. Let's okay, thanks it. so much. Have a good evening, everybody. Thank, Thank you, you bye. too. Have a great weekend. All right, everybody, that's a wrap. It's been fun. I love you all. We'll see you again next Thursday. And in the meantime, take care of each other. Be good to each other. And for those of you who have donated, thank you so much. I appreciate it very much. I don't like to ask for donations, but I'm, I'm very grateful for those of you who contribute on your own. I appreciate it. It makes me feel like it's all worthwhile, the website and doing the call. So thank you so much. I love you all, and we'll see you again next time. Good night. 
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.